You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. Hopefully that doesn't peak too much. Hey, we're getting it figured out, man. We're getting it figured out. Right on. Welcome to episode number 93 of the motherfucking podcast. This is, of course, the official podcast of the international power rock combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. This is our weekly podcast where... We sit down and we shoot the shit with, uh, with people that we have at least some sort of loose affiliation, friendship, kinship, whatever you might call it with, or just interesting people to sit down and talk with. This week, we have a very, 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 very special guest. Uh, man. I don't even know how to like go about completely introducing Where you. Where do we start? I, I think the best way to start is to say how I know you best, which uh, is as one of the founding members of the Warlock Pinchers, which is a band that influenced us and me a great deal. But you also have since then, because a lot of time has transpired since then, because yeah. Warlock Pinchers really stopped officially doing anything and like the late 90s, right? Actually, 1992. 1992 was when you guys yeah. were done? That's a very long... So even in that case, by the time I discovered you guys, you were already done. Yeah. You were already done by that point. It was pretty short, actually a fairly short-lived thing, if you think of it in the terms of like then to now. Right. You know? that's, that's amazing that like... Like how long was the band actually together? So it started in about 1987. Okay. It's actually at Heritage High School... It was a high school band. So you guys only made it five years. Yeah, that's yeah. so crazy. And so and that was so that was really the founders. There was like eight or more people in it. They made a cassette, and there were thirty copies made. And then uh, a, a bunch of them went to CU Boulder. So specifically, Mark and Dan, three um, K S K and King Scratchy. Right. And so that's where I hooked up with them and was in Boulder. And that's when you, we were started. you a student there at the time? Yeah, we were all students. We all lived in the same dorm, and uh, so it went from a high school band to a college band, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then we really we like just instantly started uh, recording and putting out seven inches and cassette, you know, cassette compilations and stuff. Uh, Mark Brooks was like a genius at at just putting out the stuff. He had been in bands before, like Minus Bill. Um, was one of the bands that he was in before, and he started another thing called Treble King. So he was really producing a lot, and I came in as I've always been a marketer. So mm-hmm. like, it, you so know, that you were responsible for like all the merchandising right. stuff and all the all the marketing and merchandise. And Mark and I, Mark did most of the flyers, but I did some of the flyers and artwork and stuff. But I came at, I came into it as being like a t-shirt maker. Like I taught myself how to make silkscreen t-shirts. Back way back, like high school or even right. earlier, and so we were the band that had like 
several t-shirt designs. You know, all the young bands, like, they scrape up enough money to get a, make a t-shirt. But, like, since we were making our own stuff, we could make a run of, like, five You just made tons shirts. of stuff. Yeah, and then, then it just went from there. So it was like, oh, we're the band who's got, like, ten t-shirt designs now. And then I started making golf tees and yo-yos and keychains and just all the stupid shit that uh, – that you anything you could put your logo on, basically, right. um, so like squeeze bottles, you know. Right, it's just ludicrous. And people are like, "What is this?" Like, we had lighters, you know. And this is like before people could just like people. You could just go on your computer and put your corporate logo right. up on on yeah. anything, Redbubble right? or whatever. Yeah, now you can do. Yeah, now you can do have all that stuff like in a week. But back then, it was like you had to have something where you could. You'd have to buy at least one hundred and forty-four of something. Right. You know, you get 12 dozen of whatever. So what could like you Like from s- like Oriental Trading or something like that. Yeah. Like- so you, but you had to buy a lot of something to put your logo on, you know. So uh, you really had to, f- then you have like a, a, a big pile of stuff that now you got to get rid of it, you know. Right, right, right. Kind of like right. putting out a record, right? You, oh, we got 500 copies of this record. Now what do we do? Right, like, exactly. We're sitting here in a big stack. Dude, so I, I'm, I'm like embarrassed by how long it took us to sell 300 records. Like when we got... When we got our reissue printed from Rodeo Star Records, it, like we still haven't sold out of all 300 yeah. of, of the copies that we got made. It's hard to get rid of a lot of anything. And then you yeah. used to have, uh, I, I think they still have the same special where it's like a thousand CDs for a thousand bucks on on disc makers or uh-huh. whatever. It's like, dude, I've still got, I've still got some CDs for. I think we just sold out of some CDs that we printed in like. 2003 <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean like just like such a long time ago yeah because that's so much stuff to sell but at this time you guys were able to do like super short runs of, of yeah stuff. And, and even our first seven inch we because you know a lot of the punk rock bands were doing you know it's a xerox seven inch cover or whatever because right. it's like you know cheap punk rock stuff so we tried to one-up it so we did xerox but then we silk screened on top of it so we got so it was like a one color silk screen but it was a two color single cover oh so but then it also had this kind of tactile thing about it because it was like you know yeah you could see the ink on top ink on top of a zero so we had kind of created that look and then our first album which we self-released you know the records were pretty cheap back then you could get a record made it's a couple bucks for the vinyl but getting a color cover is going to cost like four bucks or so what what is the what is the first seven inch well so the first seven inch was called this is the cobbler and he hates your bell bottoms (laughs) and which is funny because there's no song called that. That was just the name of the seven. Right. And then it was James Dean is an overrated asshole. Right. And then Billy the Scab was on the B side. And then we had Anthem. I think it was Anthem 3. Because on that original cassette, there was Anthem 1. It was okay. a Warlock Pinchers anthem. Just a song about the band, you know. Right, right, right. So we were up. I think we, we got up to Anthem 5 in the end. Because there was an Anthem 4 was on Deadly Kung Fu Action. Right. Anthem 5 was on uh, Circusized Peanuts. The, the, so where I got introduced to you guys, and I mention uh, Logan, our bass player, I mention his brother Marshall a lot on this because he's really the one who ex- exposed us to all kinds of alternative music. You know, he, everything from, you know, classic rock like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and things like that all the way to newer metal stuff and and alternative rock and the things that were on like 92X at the time and punk rock and and even local bands and he kind of introduced us to uh like Pinhead Circus is one of the bands that he introduced us to and he introduced us to you guys and I didn't even know you were a local band 
I just like I knew that out of everything that he was showing us, you guys stood out in a way that that no other band really did. And you know, so in my mind, I had imagined you guys being this like first of all, a much bigger band than you right. than you probably were at the time, especially because from what I'm hearing now, you guys were... This was probably 95 when I found you guys. Uh-huh. So you guys were long gone. You were three years past it, and other stuff was already going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's insane. So, <laughs> that's crazy. So, so what I came in on was there was the, the, the double release of... Uh, the CD was Deadly Kung Fu Action and Pinch a Loaf together. Uh-huh. And I actually got in trouble uh, at a DSA summer camp in tech class because uh-huh. I wrote the lyrics to Morrissey Rides a Cock Horse on a balloon and floated it out a window. <laughs> and I think, I, I think a teacher came across it. And, uh, and next thing I know, I'm getting, like, they knew it was me for some right. reason. Yeah, you know, oh, right? yeah, they knew it was you for sure. Right? <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, easy. So, so tell me just a little bit about what it looked like when you guys were at that point in the band recording those albums and, and what touring looked for it like for you guys and what songwriting looked like and, and just kind of what your world was like at that point. Yeah. So we all, I mean, we were all very different people, you know, King Scratchy right. came from this, um, he was into like dancehall reggae and hip hop and rap. And I was into, uh, you know, Slayer and pop music. And butthole surfers, you know. <laughs> okay. And then Mark was into, um, I guess what you would now call prog rock, and um, uh, you know, like rock and keyboard stuff. And so, and then e rock. And um, there was another, the, our, the original bass player too, Brian Murphy. Um, everyone was into totally different stuff. So when we all got together, it's like it was nobody's ideal. Like, this is my genre we're creating. It's like everyone just put the stuff that they wanted into the songs. Right. You know? So I was like, I was like really just yelling and noisy. Scratchy was really into the lyrics and the, the back and forth, right. two MCs, the rhymes, the, the complex rhymes. And, right. Um, and so it ended up just being like this kind of noisy mess. But, but he had was, that very punk rock affect to his voice, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, he was not, he, doesn't, he didn't fit in the hip hop genre you right. know the dance hall genre like that was the thing all the things that we liked we weren't really part of those scenes it was just right. stuff that we liked so when we created it we just created a whole new thing you know and yeah so I, 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 those... I heard nothing like it and i and I, I i've heard nothing like it since like nobody has ever yeah. done what you guys did yeah and so and it's because we we didn't really have a reference and you know you know denver and denver is much different now too but there was, you know, not a, I mean, there was touring bands came through, but a lot of people skipped us, you right. know, and we didn't have like, it wasn't DC, it wasn't LA, it wasn't San Francisco. There wasn't this conglomerate of the sound, you know, that all these right. DC bands played together. So, so we would play at, um, uh, punk shows. We would pay, play at some kind of, sometimes metal shows and right. like, we didn't really fit in anywhere. But, like, the show was the show, and everyone went to the show, like a small right. town would be, you know? And so we actually did better in small towns, I think, because everyone just You were the, the only show. thing in town. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and we, go, you know, we played in Boise and Salt Lake City and those kind of places. Like, whatever's happening, if it's a punk show, if it's a metal show, they all go to it because right. they're repressed kids, you right, know? Right, right. So the all-ages shows were always the best. Um, 
you know, we play in San Francisco. There's a million things going on every night. Right. So why is it someone going to come see a band they've never heard of? Right. You know, but in Boise, oh, there's a show. Cool. Who's there's playing? There's a show Let's going go. on tonight. Yeah. So, there hasn't been a, a show. show in months. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And so we kind of, you know, figured that out at least. But really, we were just doing what we wanted to do and we were just having fun. And we were, ha- even if there's five people there, we just gave it like our 100%. Right. And like people are like these guys are like jumping all over the walls for like the sound guy and two other people. You right, know? right, right, right. And so we were kind of known as just this fun band and fun to see and fun to listen to and stuff. So right. um which and- is funny because when when I heard you, I like it just seemed so dark and subversive and like it definitely seemed like something I shouldn't be allowed to listen right. to. You know what I mean? I mentioned a couple episodes ago, Phil Deeds, who uh, is one of the guys who runs the um, Colorado Punk Rock Army oh, yeah. site and stuff like that. Like, he used to date my babysitter, and he introduced her brother to the Warlock Pinchers. And that's how I kind of, you know, I had heard about you guys through that, and I remember like, seeing him at school in the leather jacket with the Warlock Pinchers logo on the back uh, and just like seeing that as like the pinnacle of like like edgy subversive punk rock and like to hear that it was just like this group of of just kind of goofy guys getting together and just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what sticks right. that's it and it's weird it's weird and also and because we didn't have a label and we didn't have money and we just did stuff However, we had to do it. It was super low end, but we were trying to make it look good. So we would right. we would make we would go to the copier stores in Boulder that had color copy machines. Like they had, you could push blue ink or green ink. So we would run it through the black. Then we'd like run it through again with the blue, and run it through again with the green. And now we have like a three color flyer. That's you know? so cool. And people are like, "Whoa, you have really nice flyers!" And it's like, no, we're just like stealing copies from the. <laughs> You know, we would have like our own key cards that you put in the right. Like at Kinko's, they used to have the counters, and you people would steal those keys. Yeah, I just had my own key. So I think you come with their key, and you buy twenty copies, and then you put take out theirs and put in yours, and make like the hundred and fifty copies. That's how we made colors, right? That's how we made the covers for our first seven inch. Yeah, was uh, uh, Geraldo from Bad People took us down to to Kinko's and showed us that trick. Oh man, yeah, man, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great idea though. Like taking, so you just like would switch out the cartridge and like select the the different color. Yeah, and we even would make. Sometimes we just do the whole flyer on top of itself, so you'd have this kind of you know, 3D kind of weird looking. Right. Or we'd make a separate template that was just like the lettering or the border. So like we were really doing like multicolor design, but through a photocopier. That's know? really neat. <laughs> and, and and it was by necessity. It wasn't because we were great graphic designers and we thought of these great ways to make a cool looking thing. It was really like, how do we make a thing that looks better than every other shitty flyer on the post? Right. You know, so, and then also we... um you know, this is pre-social media, really pre-internet. Right. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of flyering and passing out flyers. And at our shows, I have mailing lists. And we used to send out postcards for our tours and our shows to try to get people to come. I mean, we were doing everything we could. And I'm, I'm out flyering like four hours before the show. Even, right, you know? right. And just with unique-looking weird stuff that's very – we were underground, but it was only because we didn't have any money. You right, know? right, right, right. So it's also underground music by necessity. Like it's so underground, no one's heard of us. So like, you have to like you have to <laughs> right. like, kind of trick people into 
into coming or and, whatever. And that was behind a lot of like kind of the grit, uh, the grit in your sound too. It was like oh, yeah. you guys, you guys used a lot of drum machines that yeah. were in there, and and everything kind of had this lo-fi grit to it. What? What kind of places were you guys recording at at that time? Um, like some of the seven inches, we just recorded in like Westminster or somewhere. Um, we recorded with Bob Furbrush. Um, do you know Bob? I know the name. Yeah, yeah, he recorded like almost every band in Denver from like the early to mid '80s till 2000. I mean, it was like, and that was like in a basement in Westminster, and uh, he record. You know, he just he's recorded tons of stuff, but like. Mo- as as like most- mostly to ADAT or like what are you guys recording? For um, I mean point? the original album was eight, eight, uh, eight channel real, eight channel real, yeah. really, yeah. And you know you'd have to bounce tracks and stuff like that. Right. And then later he got involved in um, uh, digital recording stuff. Uh, God, I can't remember what the name of that tool was, but um, we had found a really cool multi track hard drive recorder because it was even even then you know you didn't, a PC. Didn't have recording programs. You'd right. have to go through some A to D box to even right. record digitally, you know. But also it's like... You're you, recording directly from a mixer to some sort of either reel-to-reel or like an ADAT machine yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so, but also it's like as most shows and most recording studios, like they don't know what to do with us, right? Like there's right. a bunch of yelling kids with noisy, shitty chords, shitty equipment, and we're just yelling and like... They're just like, oh, I don't even know what, like, what do we do with this, you know? Right, right, right. So we created, and so then the albums were much different than than the live shows, too, because the live shows is like chaos. The the recordings were like kind of organized chaos, but we were sampling and doing stuff. <laughs> right, and right. Stealing everything, you know. Making, tons of samples. Tons I remember of samples tons of samples. Just stealing loops and, and, you know, we put that whole Manamana song, Manamana, do, 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 do. And then backwards. And then, and then it all yeah, ran backwards. And then backwards, yeah. <laughs> it's just like we were hoping to get sued, right? Like right, right, right. Just anything we could do to get sued because that's going to make us famous, right? right. Um, but we never got sued. Uh, so you we, guys were far enough off, off the radar that it never came up. Yeah, and so and we even um, we went we went as far as sending our album um, or our seven inch with um, a bunch of like boobs and and porn glued onto the cover, <laughs> and we sent it to Tipper Gore. Um, Did you really? Yes. Because we're just like Tipper Gore needs to hate us, you know. That'll that, make like that'll help our career, right? Yeah, yeah. If Tipper Gore hates you, that helps you right away. Yeah, but like nothing. And then we were doing the song. I think we're Tiffany, which right. was like Tiffany was huge, and that was like I was I was really getting into the pop stars. You right. Know? It's like this. Yeah, is I think shitty we're alone music. now. Her yeah. version of I think we're alone yeah. now. Is it's huge. like shitty music, but like really well produced, and it's just. Tons of money going into it and it makes it popular. And then the more people hear it, the more they like it. If that's pop right. music, right? So yeah. you, you have to get it in front of people. So so we did I think we're Tiffany, which is our version of Tiffany's version of I think we're alone now. And, and you guys had the sample, the, uh, uh, this is Tiffany, and you're listening to the Warlock Pinchers. Yeah, <laughs> and that was actually a, from a real interview that I, um, I uh, made fake credentials from the radio station at CU Campus. <laughs> I got in backstage to see Tiffany at Fiddler's Green, an interviewer for this radio station. This non-existent radio station? Well, no, it it existed, but I didn't work there, you know? (laughs) So... I was just so, but you know, I got a hold of the her management and the concert stuff. So I actually got to meet Tiffany. 
at Fiddler's Green, and so I and I so so the interview is real. I'm asking her like, oh, do you like fruit striped gum? And like, what's your favorite cereal? Those are all me actually talking to Tiffany. But really? then, yeah. And then I and I did. I asked her. I was like, oh, there's a there's a local band who said that you know they have a song about you or whatever. Have you ever heard of that Warlock Pinchers? And so that's where we splice it. And she goes, oh yeah, that's one of my favorites or whatever. But the interview. I mean, I was thought about that the other day. I they, always thought that you just took it from like an interview that was on TV or something like no, that. You actually the, it, it sat was down me and, sitting there with Tiffany. And so I thought about the that other just day. Just made like, that so much cooler. Oh, oh it's man. hilarious. And so I got to find that original tape because. I'm sure that is really fucking funny. Right. Just me, like college freshman, like obsessed with pop music, gets to meet Tiffany and does an interview and then later splices it together to try to get sued by her. And then nobody sued you. So you're like going out of your way trying to get sued. You're going out of your way trying to get, you know, targeted by the PMRC and it's just not happening. Yeah. So we decided to, um, we wrote a letter from Tiffany's management company to ourselves. It was like a cease and desist threat of legal action. And then we sent it to ourselves in the mail and received it and opened it up in shock. Oh my God, we're getting sued. And we sent it with, with our press release to um, several media outlets all over Denver saying like, you know, this isn't fair. This is, we're just being our creative selves or whatever. And so like, all these pe- people came to my uh, came to my house, and I had a Tiffany wall of, right. just, r- of photos and and ridiculous <laughs> stuff. So they're like, p- take pictures. You're of me like, in front it of this. just sucks because I'm such a big fan. I'm such a fan, and now she's suing me. <laughs> and so it was ridiculous. So we had a fake lawsuit, and then um, and so a bunch of these articles are about you know Campus Press, Colorado Daily, Westward, Rocky Mountain News, Denver Post. They all were covering it. But they were trying to get a hold of her management company, and she was huge. She just sold four million, her four millionth album of right. her first record, and so we were banking on her management not get, being getting back to these local media. So the articles were just starting to come out, and then somebody, I think it was Westward, actually got a hold of George Tobin Management, Tiffany's manager, faxed them a copy of this letter that we received, and all they said is, "That's not our letterhead." <laughs> And I'm like, damn it! Why didn't we, why didn't we find their letterhead somehow? You know, so. But you had already so, gotten some coverage before. Yeah, so that we happened, got some right? coverage. So then they're all calling and they're like freaking out. They're like, "What's going on? This is fake. What are you guys doing?" And so, um, and the the press release was from our fake manager, Will Wheaton, who, because <laughs> <Will> you know, <laughs> which is funny that Will Wheaton, because he's like a real person, like you know. Wait, but, did you know who Will Wheaton yeah, was when you did? Yeah, but he was a he was, <laughs> he was like a young a- he was a kid actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, right? Star, but, on Star Trek ge- uh, next, next generation, generation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we weren't fans of that, but I don't know why Mark Mark Brooks thought Will Wheaton was cool. So, so, but also as you know, like you call a venue in some city, right? And it's like, hey, I'm in a band. Like, click, you know, right, like, right, right. Hey, we want to play at your click. You yeah, know? no, no. It's now like, it's you send an email and they just ignore the email. Right now they ignore the email. It's much different than ignoring the phone calls. Right. But back then we had to pay for long distance calls, 
And nobody wants to talk to the kid in the band, right? right? So we had a manager, but like we can't afford a manager. So we just had a fake manager. So any of us could call and, and be, be like, like this, hey, is Will this is Will Wheaton. And we got this band in Denver that's coming through and like they're just like ripping it up. And like, you know, we got to get them a show in your town because you're, you're going to love these guys. You know, you can't talk about yourself right. in such a positive light because then you're just an asshole. We, we, had, we had a period of time where we had a, a fake manager named Bill Bevington. Ah. We just thought it, like one of one of our bandmates used to get mail addressed to this guy Bill Bevington at his house and we were like it just sounds like a guy like with a with a mustache who's just like very serious and means like it sounds like a really like ritzy upper crust type of dude like Bill Bevington. Bill Bevington. And, Bill, and, this is Bill Bevington. And so, no one would make that up. Right? right like right. no one would make up a fake manager named Bill Bevington. So it's gotta be real. Right? But you guys really committed to the bit. Like we did that a couple of times and then we were like, oh, I don't think that's gonna work. We should probably stop doing it. Like we're gonna get in trouble. Like you guys yeah. committed to we the committed bit. We committed to it even so much so that we put it on a press release. So all of the all the media was ca- trying to call Will Wheaton. Right, and we're like, I don't know where he is. Like, we haven't seen him in like since like in like four or five days. Like, he split. So we kind of blamed the whole thing on Will Wheaton. <laughs> Our crazy managers like told us we were getting sued, so we were still kind of playing the victim. Yeah, we you're, really you're like, these, I've, we've been taking advantage. Yes, yeah, so we wanted here. these album. We wanted these articles to come out. Right, and so a couple people dropped them, and then a couple people. Wrote the you know finished the article but says like something isn't right here we can't get a hold of this Will Wheaton they don't know what happened and so um, so I would deem it like a ninety one percent success yeah because people thought we were getting sued um, and like well, why is this band getting sued then then you have to listen to it or you right. go see them right so and and so what whatever the articles said you know people forget what they just read five minutes ago but they might remember the name and so. Um, yeah, I think the uh, Rocky Mountain News, it was called Fake P- Publicity Fiery was like the headline, you know? And so then it was an article about how, how we weren't getting sued. So, so so how do you get an article written about how you're not getting sued? Right. It's, it was like amazing. That's like this, awesome. This crazy stuff. That, and this is – so, so – this is all your brainchild because you're the marketing guy in the band. Right. And really all of us are sitting around just thinking of it. But I'm the one who's like pounding the pavement and putting up the right. flyers and like figuring out. I'm the people guy. So like what, I was the social your, media guy back then before, before social, social media. media was thing. I'm out talking to people and handing out the flyers and, and making, you know, we're putting up stickers and whatever we could do to just right. get people to remember us. Right. You know? So what what is your background in marketing then? Like it, it, that was just something you were interested in? Yeah, or? it was from making t-shirts. You know, I, I was so like, as, so so you joined the band and just started making all the all the branded well, materials and that was your introduction yeah, to marketing. Yeah, I had no musical history or abilities or anything. And I started out as a percussion player for Yeah, you used to bang on a cymbal. Yeah, I banged it. Well, no, before that, I banged on a Freon tank. (laughs) (laughs) And so so those guys, you know, those guys, they're like, they came to Boulder. I I knew them um, a little bit before we were um, playing together, but before we got to school there. And so they're like, hey, we're playing. Like, do you want to come... You know, like you could like bang on a thing or whatever. I was in, in, into industrial stuff back then. You know, right. I was into like Einstein's uh, Neubauten and um, like Skinny Puppy and shit like that. Yeah, but even even like even noisier, just mm-hmm. like pure noise, like controlled bleeding and just like noise, hundred percent noise. Um, and so the idea of just like banging on a thing along with the kind of you know like the shitty drum machine. Right. We wanted some kind of power in it, so I was like. 
but I have not, no drumming skills either, right? So I'm banging on a Freon can. Then I added the cymbal. How did and, you convince them to let let you in their band? Well, I mean, because it was really— Because, I mean, just, I'm glad you were in the band, and you obviously did—were were so instrumental in that. But I'm just, like, trying to imagine the conversation of, like, a guy who lives in the dorm, and they're, like, trying to have a band, and you're just like, you should let me come play the Freon tank right. and make T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, how, I, how did you talk yourself into I, that? I, have, I, I really have no idea. I, have, I mean— it's like, hey, come down and play with us. We're going to play on Pearl Street Mall for like right. as people are walking by. They already kind of had that attitude yeah, where they was, were like reaching a, out and grabbing people and just yeah, kind of going just, whatever. Yeah, it was just like, oh, you're cool, I guess, or whatever. And so, um, so we start doing that, and then I start, you know, it's like, and so, so Scratchy's doing like the the you know he's the the MC rapper, and I was just yelling like. Um, the, You're the hype man. The hype man, and yeah, I was the flavor of Flav, kind yeah, of, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and or like, you know, if if we all want to yell something, and I, so we would all like yell, you know, like he, we did back in black. That was one of the original ones on the cassette, right? right? So it's like back that. in black, right, in right, the right. Sack. So I'm just like I'm the I'm the yelling guy in the background, but then we started writing um, songs for two MCs. And right. so that's when it got really complex with like the lyrics and stuff and just like Scratchy would like show up to practice with some crazy thing written with in three colors of pen. He have a black pen, a red pen and a green pen. And maybe even one of those pens that like clicks yeah, and you switch yeah, yeah. the color. I'm I know hoping, where I'm hoping, you try to like push all the Yeah, and you're parts like, "Oh no, they're it. all coming through the thing. <laughs> thing at once." Yeah. And so um and so like he would be red, I would be green and then if we're both singing it would be in black. And so he was like making these complex rhymes. That's and just, so cool. It was cool. really cool. And so, and, and then, and uh, you know, we we're not singing; we're just rapping or yelling or right, whatever. Right, right, you right. Know? So it's like, um, and as my, I mean, we did get compared to the Beastie Boys because they were like obnoxious white kids yelling, right? Right. And we were obnoxious white kids yelling. But, but you like, guys were you guys were darker and, yeah. and and grittier, man. And we were. I mean, it was shock value, and we had all these songs about Satan, right? And I you thought know? you guys, I thought you guys were a legit satanic band, which yeah. I found out now that I'm older is there are very few legitimately oh, yeah. satanic. I mean, Slayer is not a satanic band, right? You know and what if I mean? you were if you were satanic, would you really have a band? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, truly satanic. Yeah, you know? truly satanic. It, it's more of that gonna... like t- uh, satanic temple type of thing, where it's more of like a counter myth and more of right. like a you're, trolling type. Yeah, of thing. you're trolling everybody, and so we're we're basically trolling the parents of the kids who have never heard of us yet. Right, because the parents hear about it. And they're just like, oh, my God, this is awful. And the kid's like, what's that? You know? Or the kid comes home with the T-shirt and, like, the mom throws it away because it's right. like, no, this is satanic, you know? Right, but right. But the lyrics were so goofy that if you sit and listen to it, it's like, we're in league with Satan. We bowl a perfect game. You right, know? It's right, It's like, right. wait a second. You know, it's like we were taking stuff from Slayer. That's from and, Devil Without a Pause, right? Yeah, yeah. Which but is, it's actually yeah. Venom. I mean, Venom has a song in League, in with, League Satan. with Satan, and it's like we're in a League with, with Satan. Satan. We ball a perfect yeah. game. I just put that. Yeah, fucking and so joke I was, together. I was this oh Venom God. fan, right? So, and that, all of the lyrics are almost all the lyrics are inside jokes, right? Like right. that, right? Like I'm a Venom fan, and they have this. I'm like, we got to use this line in League with Satan. And we're in the league, which is a bowling league. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. Dude, and it's it's interesting to like hear you talk about that stuff without any conscious awareness of it. But so much of what you guys did, the spirit of that informed who we became. Like really like the idea of putting 
the idea of putting um, inside jokes in lyrics, uh, the, the the grittiness of it was oh, something that always really appealed to me. The way you guys use sampling and the like, man, that just it was all that, like when I heard that it sounded like something I wasn't supposed to be listening to. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And that, we were using the tenets of pop music, the 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 tenets of. Like songwriting structure? Yeah, songwriting structure and just like, or what do you talk about, right? You try to identify with people or anti-identify with people. Right. Or it's like someone wants to like chant at a concert like, hail Satan or Satan, 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 you know? And it's like, that's fun. Right. But if, if the parents see it, like they're they're mad about it. And right. that's like, so so you can cre- help create the rebellion. Right. You and know? you can create a little counter buzz about yourself yeah. as well. Yeah, because counter buzz is as good as buzz. Right, right? exactly. You know? So tell, on that note, tell me about, so something I want to get into at some point is the, the Imposters album. Oh, yeah. That sure. we were on. Yeah. Um, but while I was at that show, which we'll talk about more because there's a whole bunch to that, that that I want to talk about. I saw some, uh, there was like a video loop that was running and it was showing footage of you guys playing live and it was showing footage of different interviews that you did and things like that. And there was an interview that you guys did that was by some religious oh, fundamentalist yeah. group yeah. where it was like they were doing an expose on satanic music and it was like the first half of the episode was on Slayer and then the second half was about you guys. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Oh my God, that was amazing. That was, was, that, like was a, that the only time anything like that ever happened? Uh, to that level, for sure. Yeah, for so sure. T- tell me a little bit about what went into and that. So there's a guy, Blaine Bartell, in Oklahoma City. Okay. Who has he's like a youth pastor and he's um, he's uh, you know working with kids or whatever and they decided to do an episode about Denver, so they came out to Denver and they were going to metaphysical stores and looking you know like looking for things like because compared to Oklahoma City I'm sure we just seem like a den of iniquity yes you know? and so they're just so they're like and they, they you know they're standing by a mile high stadium and like we're a mile high closer to God here in Denver you know and like <laughs> going to the big city and we're like. And so they went. We're here to see what's going down, what's going down in the Mile High City. And so they went to Wax Tracks, and they're like, "Hey, you know what are the ba- what are the popular bands in town?" And you know we're we're um, we're from out of town, and um, and E Rock, our bass player, worked at Wax Tracks, right? And um, and maybe they were asking about like satanic or metal or whatever. Or maybe just what was going on. What, so, what the kids were listening to. Yeah, so yeah. he, of course, like gives them a flyer. We were playing that, and we just happened to be playing that night. And so he gave them a flyer for our show. He showed them the record, and that was um, that was Deadly Kung Fu Action. So it's the Raiders logo, but With we, Satan we put the, the devil in it. Cause, so the earlier, the songs where we were like the official sound of Satan, which we coined ourselves. You right. Know, we didn't you ask guys, You guys had those uh, cheerleaders costumes, the official right? cheerleaders the Satan's of cheerleaders, Satan. Yeah, yeah. Cindy and Mindy. So we were on this big kind of satanic thing. but And then at some point we're like, okay, we got to, what's our next thing? And and a lot of the rap bands were, were wearing Raiders gear and stuff. And like... <laughs> So we're, and we're not going to show well, up. And you're from Denver, so it's yeah. like oh. you're, you're playing heel. You're playing the There's fucking so bad guy. There's so many levels to the Raiders thing. is ridiculous. <laughs> so we're from Denver, and everyone hates the Raiders, right? right? So like anything, but like, but also so we're that not, already gets a reaction. Already gets people. a reaction, but also we're not the kind of like rappers who're going to show up in a bunch of 
gear, you know? Like, we're not going to go buy a bunch of Raiders gear to be like the Raiders dudes. So we, like, made our logo the Raiders. We took our old right. devil that was in our official Sound of Satan logo, and we had the watches, official time of right. Satan. I remember the official yeah. time of Satan watch, yeah. Which, official board of Satan skateboards. <laughs> so... But we were trying to just move to the next thing. And not like we were over it, but it was just like, okay, what's the next thing? And I was like, all the rappers love the Raiders stuff. Take our devil logo, but put it in the Raiders. Right. And And now you see so many mock-ups that people have done on on the Raiders thing. It's it's become ubiquitous. And and that was the era era where people were just starting to rip off corporate logos. But it was like the rave scene. Like Like where pop art was becoming a big popular Yeah, and like rave would like take like a Tide... You know, like the Tide logo, and they would make a rave a right. flyer about it. Right. No, totally. And you'd see that but stuff bands, at like Spencer Gifts or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but bands weren't doing it. Like that was right. so we like so so I was like, hey Mark, you got to put our devil in the Raiders thing somehow. And so he he figured it out. And that's like even now, I still sell T-shirts with that. Oh yeah. Thirty years later, I mean, oh, people yeah. hoodies, T-shirts, you know. And so so the so the religious guys um, buy the album, take it back to their hotel. I don't. They didn't have a record player but they read the lyric sheet and it's like they pulled out that song um and so then they they come to interview us at the show and so now e-rock so e-rock's created this scenario where they come to our show and they're interviewing kids outside and they're like um you know what what do you think about this satanic music and the you know kids like well you know it's just fun cool stuff like they're not sacrificing chickens on stage or anything and they're like oh you haven't seen them do that yet you know, it's like they're so they're just thinking we're we're in, in, like inducting these kids into our cult or whatever. Right, right, and they just haven't been exposed to the real rough stuff. Yet. Yeah, and so they but they interviewed us backstage, and he reads the lyrics, which they right. put on the screen on their on, when they produce the show, and it's like we're in league with Satan. We bowl a perfect game, and I'm just like laughing my <laughs> ass off, like what. Like you guys are really serious. Like it's you like think this the, is the real. irony is going right over your head, yeah. right? It, as it does, as, as it, it does, does, yeah. You know, um, and uh, and he even says, yeah, the S, the A. He said the S, the A, the Tan, but it's the S, the A, the T, A, N. Satan right. is his name. Power, evil, goaty, woody, Satan, Satan, Satan. And he's like, so do you guys really believe this stuff? You know, is this just a joke? And we're like. Satan's cool. You know, we all got the whole, you know, Satan's cool. He goes down the line, he goes, what do you think about Satan? And it's just like down the line, cool, 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 cool. And then I think it was probably Scratchy was at the very end. And he's like, yeah, Satan's cool, but God, let me tell you about God. And like, God's a mother, bam, and they're beeping him out. It was fucking funny. And this dude's in like his, you know, three-piece tweed suit or whatever, just like with the the blow-dried haircut, like sticking the mic in your faces and stuff like that. So then they produced the show, which you can see on YouTube. It's called Satanism Unmasked Part 2. And Satanism re- Unmasked Part, part two. two. And it's, it's on the YouTube. Satanic Panic, uh, uh, oh, you yeah. know, and we're part of it. So, yeah, they're showing like hardcore metal shows, whatever. And they're like, now we're going to Denver. And it's like, we're like pinchers. <laughs> and like, um, ridiculous. And, uh, and it, 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 it comes back a couple times throughout that episode. And even at the very end, um, you know, well, you know, my, there's there's great things in Denver, and there's there's churches and whatever, and like that's better than Warlock Pinchers, and we're like, there are so many sound bites in this. It's like we can't. I know, even dude. Keep you just hooked us all. up. You yeah. just did a bunch of work for us. Have Man. you seen that? Um, have you seen that Hail Satan documentary? Oh yet? yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it was just so fascinating to me how how religious fundamentalists can be 
manipulated by the fear of the idea of Satan yeah. by a bunch of people who are not true Satanists. Like nobody in that church really believes in Satan. The they devil, don't believe right. they don't believe in the devil. They don't believe right. in any of it. But they have this organization as a countermyth, as something that is like just designed to, you know, throw shit at at the 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 fundamentalist religious, uh, you know, uh, it, like how it how it affects the separation of church and state, and 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 this, you know, comp, the, the the fundamentalist complex that's like built in. Like they just use it to shut that down. Yeah, and you guys, you guys were part of that. During that yeah, the, that's what I mean. That's, that's sat- exactly what thing. we were doing because we know that. If we chant Satan, someone's going to get upset, and other people are going to get it's mad. Funny. They're going to take it seriously, and so that's the separate. So you start separating it out. So and if you funny. only if if only ten percent comes your way, that's better than being a boring band that no one even remembered the name, right? right? And people are like, "Oh, they were chanting Satan, and that was kind of fun, and they were throwing candy. That's weird, you know? It's like so nothing made sense, and um, yeah, the Satanic Temple is awesome because they're going, they're going, they're 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 Oh, you think we're big, evil, black-wearing maniacs? Like, we'll we'll play that role. Yeah, we'll play right? that part. We'll show up at the thing and be the people wearing all black, and you can make fun of us or whatever. Right. Meanwhile, we have a lawyer, and if you're going to put up your Ten Commandments statue, we're going to put up our Baphomet, Baphomet statue. Stat- which also happened to be Oklahoma City, where right, they were right. doing that, which That's, is interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how this Oklahoma City. And, side note, Blaine Bartell later um, comes out um, as uh, being addicted to porn. Really? And he gets kicked out of his ministry and all this stuff, and he makes a bunch of amends to God or whatever, and like, yeah, it's, they're all such phonies. He probably, you know? he, he by coming out addicted to porn, it probably means that like he saw it for the first time and didn't know what to do with himself when those images started affecting the bio. He, his body, you know, he right. started having a biological response to watching that stuff and probably got terrified by it all. I'll bet you Blaine Bartell watched maybe a dozen pornos. Right. Maybe. <laughs> and and he thought like, he was addicted. And thought he was addicted. It was just like, this is awful. God's going to punish me. It's like, it's like somebody, it's like that episode of King of the Hill where Hank has one hit a pot accidentally and thinks that he's just like destroyed his life because yeah. he got all hopped <laughs> up on pot. It's like, I'm a pot addict uh, now. Ah! <laughs> You know, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So, so, how much touring did you guys realistically do during during this time that you were playing? Like, yeah, how I mean, much we, how much real playing, or or was it for the most part just like making records and then like doing all this hype stuff around? Well, you know, it? early on we played a bunch because it's like we'll play any show anywhere. Right. We wanted to get in front of people. We'll play a basement party. We'll right. open up for whatever you know. But then we very quickly um, got into opening up for other bands. So like uh, Butthole Surfers were coming right. here and we're like, we got to play that show. And so I get a hold of Faye Concerts, like the biggest Barry concert Faye. company. Barry Faye, man. Um, Bill Bass and Barry Faye putting on. And, and so this is pretty weird for them, right? Because they're the biggest concert company. They do Red Rocks and Rainbow Music Hall. and you know, Right, they do everywhere. But they're doing this, this show at Glenn Miller Ballroom at CU Campus. And I'm like, hey, we're a band. You know, we kind of know Butthole Surfers, which we had talked to them maybe on the phone. Like, we got their number and we're right. like, but 
They're like, yeah, we really think it would be cool to play with them, whatever. You know, you guys need an opening band. We're on campus in Boulder. We live up here. We'll, we'll flyer the shit out of it, you know. And so they're like, okay, cool. Like, you can play for 20 minutes. We'll give you 100 bucks and have fun. And don't, and don't do anything like, that's going to get us in trouble. Right. Like, they're like, do not throw anything. Do not light anything on fire. Do, you know, they're like, our insurers are freaking out about just the name of this band, Butthole Right, Circus. right, They're right. like, if, if, if you punks do anything to jeopardize this show, like, I'll, 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 I'll be like up your ass, like Well, and hardcore. they probably, they probably, you guys were probably close to the only game in town at that point. Like, there weren't a ton of, like, fringe, punk rock, extreme bands in Denver at that time. Yeah, I mean, it was a handful. And Boulder, actually, at, at that time, Boulder was kind of a punk scene. Was there a scene. lot going on? Yeah, oh, there was shows. Club and, 156 yeah, and even, stuff like and that. Yeah, and even, like, warehouse shows. And they, they did shows at um, what was called Gate 10, which was, like, Gate 10 of the CU um, Stadium. Oh, wow. And they did, for some reason, maybe they had to through some kind of, like, thing where, like, as a student, you could put on some event at this one space right and so they put, did book shows there so so boulder was kind of thriving actually but it was nobody, just like a student multi-use space that they yeah, they, let that they had to events. let you yeah i don't know how it worked but um but but nobody had the balls to try to call butthole surfers call fake concerts and get on the show but like i did you know right 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 because it's like what we have nothing absolutely nothing to lose we were the nothing right. to lose band right no one even knows us right so we get on this show. I can just see Barry Faye like going like, ah, I don't know what these kids well, are doing. Fine, yeah. fine. Go ahead, like, play the show. Have yeah. fun. We need something to happen before the headlining band. So fine, these kids. So we did it. It was awesome. It was on Halloween night, I think 1988. Um, I, you know, I'm sure by the time Butthole Surfers played, like no one even remembered us, right? Right. Except Butthole Surfers remembered us. And they were like, yeah, you guys were cool. Like, you guys were awesome. We never play with cool bands, you know? Like, right. you guys are fucked up. You're weird. This we, was, this was in, when they were starting to get a little steam, and they were kind of distanced from, like, the underground a little bit. Yeah, right? yeah. They were doing, you know, that this was a thousand-person venue, so they, they're not doing the punk rock shows, but they're still right. in a shitty van or whatever, you know? But we traded T-shirts with them. We kept in touch. Um, t- uh, Teresa Coffey, the, the, of the, one of the two drummers, whatever, she, like, she loved our Tiffany stuff. And she's like, I want that Tiffany shirt. Like, <laughs> I, like that's amazing, you know? So we really, like, bonded and made friends. And we ended up later um, playing with them multiple times in Denver, Salt Lake City. Um, we went and recorded a song um, at their studio in Driftwood. You know, we kind of created really by, cool. by, by just by just this nothing to lose kind of right. Thing. And then because it went pretty well and we, got, we flyered the heck out of it, whatever – like a month or two later, I think it was like a month later, Red Hot Chili Peppers were playing at the Glenn Miller Ballroom. Same exact thing. And and I'm like, hey, Bill Bass from Fake Concerts. Like, <laughs> remember us? Like, we flyered that. We got people there. You know, we know a lot of people, whatever. And they're like, yeah, fine. Come play. Yeah. 20 minutes. Just do your shit. Get off the stage. Awesome. You know? Right. So we did that. And it was 100% different. Right? We do this show. And... We really felt like we had nothing to lose then. So right. we had we made this giant Tiffany head that was like nine feet tall of all like blown up blown up Xeroxes and pasted all like on a cardboard thing and we cut the eyes out and we uh, mounted silly string cans behind the eyes. And so we do our Tiffany song and we're just shooting silly string out the eyes 
and we're throwing stickers and stuff. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers fans hated us. <laughs> hated us. Butthole Surfers fans were like, we don't know what's going on, but we're just excited for whatever. Right. The chili, I mean, people were booing us. They were throwing shit at us. It was so fucking funny. And so they were throwing, because what do you have in your pockets? They had change. They were throwing change. So Scratchy's going around collecting up all the change. He's like, I made like, I made 49 cents so far. Like, bring it, keep bringing it on, you know? And so in that case, I would say we, we impressed 2% of the audience and the rest of the audience hated us. Right. But all those people. The 2% is all you need. The 2% all we need. And all those people who hated us, the next day, are they talking about the Chili Peppers? They're no, talking they're talking about, about the us. awful band. The fucking that, band. They, they were throwing shit. They did a Tiffany song, whatever. And so that even propagated people like, oh, wait, what What was that? You know, like. Yeah, people who didn't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or or just were looking for something different or overhearing yeah. these people and they, talking. And they got to like, go well, check it out. that actually sounds kind of funny. I don't know why you were so pissed off. The Tiffany head and the we had the giant fruit stripe gum things. And we were right. just blowing up Xeroxes. And, you know, it's like we're dancing around with these, like, fruit stripe gum. <laughs> like, ridiculous, ridiculous. Right. And so, um, but there again, it's, it's kind of like there's no such thing as bad press. People hated us, and that was funny. And, and I still run into people every now and again who was at that show. They're like, I was at that Chili Peppers show. I remember it. Like, people really? hated you guys, you know? That's so and great. the Chili Peppers would not let us sell our merch for less than their merch. So we're selling our T-shirts for like – we sell our shirts for five bucks. Right. right? We just want people to have them. But they're our selling stuff for like 30, 40 bucks. Yeah. Well, back then it was like 20 bucks. But, but that seemed like a lot to us. Right. At 1988. Yeah. And so – and our albums, we were selling for five bucks, right? But they're like, no, you got to sell your albums for 12 bucks. And so we're like, okay, fine. No one's going to buy our shitty punk crap album. But like, then we sold some albums and we're like, damn, well, here's a free t shirt then because like, you like, we felt don't want to sell for, it like, to you for that. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, what? And so, but yeah, that, but that was really everything we did was like that, where it was like, we're getting in, we're getting involved in something we no, have no idea what we're doing. Right. And somehow navigating it, right? Right. And and even like that Pinch of Loaf album, have you ever seen one in person? No. Like the so the Pinch of Loaf album because it was. I mean, ex- I just had I had the CD that was both albums right, in one. Right. 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 So some of the some of the inset insert shows the Pinch of Loaf, but we got blank covers, blank glossy covers, and we screen printed them. Okay. So it says Pinch of Loaf in screen printed letters, and then the, on the back it was like all the song names and stuff. Because it was just too expensive to get a, a record cover. Right. The, the album cost one or two bucks, but then the printing, if you want to get color printing, that's like four or five bucks. And we're right. trying to sell them for five bucks. So, and we had to pay for the recording or what, you know, so right. the economy doesn't work. So we just screen printed the albums. And then, um, but the, it would like scratch off. Like you could scratch it off. Like the one <laughs> right, because it doesn't stick to the glossy yeah. cover for shit. So the one at the radio station at, 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 on campus, people were scratching in messages and stuff in the, um, you know, and and then people if in interviews were like, oh, yeah, did you get our Scratch and Sniff album? And they're like, oh, this, you know, we're at some college radio and they're like, Scratch and Sniff. They're like, what does it smell like? And they're like, try it. And they're like, smells like paint. You know, it's like <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. But then we ended up having this really weird looking album because right. – because we had to. Right. The only way we could afford it. And people are like, "That's so cool." Yeah. And like no, and, nobody was doing anything. Like yeah. That. And so, and then we got on Boner Records, um, and we were really trying to find a label to put out Pinch of Loaf for real, you know, because right. we thought that was like our, you know, that was our best work. Yeah, we're yeah, never yeah. going to top this. And um, Boner Records is like, you guys are cool. 
I don't want to do that album. I want to do your next album. Right. And we're like, cool. And we already had a bunch of songs. Um, so that was Deadly Kung Fu Action. And so then that was when we really started touring maybe more with bands. Um, we played with um, Melvin's. We were on that label. Ed Hall, who was on that label. Um, Steel Pole Bathtub, which was some people cool. from Littleton and Boulder. Um, who had moved to San Francisco, and they were on the label, so they helped get us on there. But we were still in college. We were in college pretty much the whole time. So we would we would tour on um, Christmas break and then in the summer. Right. So we didn't tour extensively. We didn't go. We never got even went to the East Coast. Right. And we all took a semester off, and we we're going to go all around the U.S. and Europe. We had some booking agent. Like we're we're getting big time. We got a booking agent, and like. You know they keep we keep having to send them money for the phone bills and stuff, and so we were paying hundreds of dollars in phone bills, and we had this tour set up, and um, and then they just disappeared. The booking agency yeah. just disappeared. Yeah, and we're like, where's our tour? And they're like, we never even got a hold of them again. And so we had some of the dates and some of the clubs, so we were calling. We're like, hey, we were setting up this show, and our booking agent, and they're like, oh, so we actually patched it together because we all took time off of school, right, to, right. And so we're like, well, fuck booking agents, like. We did better than that. Right, know? right, so, right. So we never had like a full-scale tour, you know. And we'd hook up with bands. Like we played with All in, in Boise. We played with Psychic TV in Salt Lake City. Um, so we try to get on bigger shows. And then that's also the time that no one in particular presents was Denver – Big, you know, big independent promoters, right? And they realized what fake concerts may or may not have have realized. But we marketers, we make cool flyers, and so they'd have a show like they had um, Dead Milkman were coming, right? And like two weeks before the show, they're not selling enough tickets, and it's at the Gothic Theater. So they would just call us and be like, "Hey, do you guys want to play the show?" And we're like, "Yes," because they knew that we would scramble and get the last. 200 people to right. come because it's to see us or whatever and we'd make a cool flyer or we so that so we played with mud honey um we actually played with third base which was weird what's third that? base it was like uh like uh jewish white rappers from new york <laughs> and like <laughs> I have no so, idea so it was like a it was like a rap show and like well right. we're playing a, a legit real rap show but of course the rap people hated us right because we're just obnoxious kids yelling you know <laughs> like and a live show, you don't really get all the the, the subtle rhymes, right? You know? It's just these, who are these obnoxious kids yelling? Right, know? right, right. So third base, uh, it was funny, but like, yeah, you know, it didn't really fly either. But, right, right. But um, but people remember that Dead Milkman show a lot, and um, yeah. So so it was just weird that we were they they were using us as much as we were using them. Right, right, know? right. We right. were they put us on the show because they knew that we would sell tickets and we just wanted to play. We could play for all the Dead Milkman fans who never right. heard of us. So just everything about it. And then then Circusized Peanuts comes along, and so now we're like we're getting really into recording and sampling and doing like complex stuff with sampling and um, just Easter eggs and hiding stuff in there and and we even ditched like the devils even the even the raiders thing and it was all like the clowns right i remember circus sized peanuts was just like it, it, it like it looked like a vintage circus poster yeah some sort yeah, yeah. we got all into all the clowns not scary clowns but like happy clowns yeah, yeah, happy yeah. clowns are way scarier than like it type scary clowns right, right? like i'm scared of happy clowns because like what are they hiding right you right <laughs> so it looks like a gacy painting yeah right? exactly so um yeah, so we just we kept changing too, you know, and it's like no one knew really what to expect, including ourselves, right? Because we don't know what we're going to do next. So it just it all kind of works. 
So, you know? so let me let me ask you this then: Why the brevity of the career? Like, what 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 ended it for you guys? Yeah, um, that's good that you mentioned college. That. Yeah, no, well, because we were all getting out by then. It's right, like we're, right. we could be ready to be like stadium anthem superstars because we're all out of school now. Right, right, know? right. But um, it's cool that you mentioned that because do you know about the book that just came out? The um, the Denver and the Cowtown Punks, Volume Two. No. Oh, you got to check that out. It's um, Denver and the Cowtown Punks, yeah. Volume Two. So the first one came out, and it's two guys who were around back then. Um, Bob um, Donut Crew Records. He was putting out seven inches of like Boulder and Denver punk bands, and so he would do like um, a seven inch single with four bands. So two, each band had a you know a song. There's two songs on each side. And, um, and then Sonny K, who later started um, GSL Records um, and was in a band, the VSS, but he was in bands in Boulder and stuff. And so those guys got real retrospective about all the stuff that was happening in Denver and Boulder that even now a lot of the people around the country don't know because we were this kind of island, right? Right. And so they did this book, and it was punk, Denver punk from like 80, 84 to um, – 84 to 88 or something right, right, like that right. or 81 to 88 or something. And so that predated me. That was like when I was in high school. Is this like that. is this like a lot of the same bands that are on that um what is it? Rocky Mountain Low. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the era. Inch. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the era of Denver which a lot of cool stuff came out of Denver but like even stuff also... with pre-Dead Kennedy stuff with Jello Biafra. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And so so they did a book of that era and Warlike Pinchers was in, it was like skated into the very right. end of that era cuz we were around 87 88. Um, but then they just came out with, like a month ago, they came out with the volume two, which was like 89 to 96 or something. Right. And so we have a whole chapter in that book. Ooh, come on. Yeah. 96 to 2000. Yeah. Get us yeah, in there. The come on. The third one. The third one. Yeah, get us in the third one. Come on. And so, um, but they we did some extensive interviewing with them and really tried to, because like we all have our different versions about why we split up. But I'll just tell you mine, because that's yeah, what I think. Yeah, tell me yours. But um. So we were touring, we're playing, we're trying to get on a bigger label. Like, okay, are we going to break? We're going to be the, you know, we're going to get on a big label. Um, And uh, a couple guys didn't want to tour anymore. Right. And it's like, dang, we can't be like a local band anymore. We've toured now, you know, right? We've toured, we've played. We can't can't go back now. Can't go back. And And how many people are in the band? Five. There's five. Yeah, at at one point we had six. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because if you like look at the liner notes on... Deadly Kung Fu action, it lists like six people and there's like a guy who's just responsible for like beats and samples. And right. Like that, I didn't understand that yeah. when I was younger. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, the original, so Brian Murphy and then Brian and Dan and Mark were like the three guys when coming to Boulder and then I was the fourth guy. Right. And then we were doing Pinch of Loaf and E-Rock came along and he's like, you guys would be cool with another bass player. You know, mm-hmm. and he was in punk bands, like, in, he was older than us. So he was in, the, he was in like, punk bands in, like, 85, 86. Right, right. And so we had two bass players. Um, and then we, um, one of the guys I had a lot of classes with who lived across the street from me in the dorm was Derek D-Rock. And he played guitar. And so at, for this time, there was one tour. We actually had six people in a VW right. bus. <laughs> And we built, oh, like, a sucks. platform. So four of us would, like, slide in, like, sardines between the platform and the roof. Right. We all slide in, and then two guys driving and passenger. And we did, like, a West Coast tour like that. It was, like, miserable. That's so cool. Crazy. And then and then Brian got out, 
and so then we were five for like for the rest of the time. Okay. So so there's guys that don't want to tour anymore. Yeah. So a couple guys don't want to tour, and then they're like, yeah, we could still record, but then we hadn't really been writing any songs, and Scratchy and I were kind of on our own things, and I had started another band. And Mark had started another band, which was Foreskin 500. Okay. And I had started Scramblehead. Okay. And so we're like, the, you know, so we're just like, well, let's do one big tour, one big last tour, and one big last show. And it'll be our last show ever. We will never play again, right? Because like bands would quit, have their last show, and then like six or nine months later. All they, the, the endless reunion tours. Yeah, it's endless. like Kiss has been breaking yeah. up probably since you guys were around. Exactly. exactly. I went right. to their first, um, uh, first final show. <laughs> You know, yeah. last tour ever. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And so, um, so we did. We had a last tour, um, and we just broke everything. Like, just you know, we just went nuts because we like this. We knew this was kind we're of never a, gonna it. Do we're, this again. We're, we're quitting. So it was like the craziest, funnest, weirdest. I remember Salt Lake City. Like, um, at least Dan and Mark, um, or Dan and Brian, maybe. No, Brian wasn't there. But like, wore diapers and Saran wrap and like. We 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 broke everything. Salt Lake right. City was always our last show of the tour before Denver when we'd go up like around the West Coast. Right. So we let's just, get rid of all the stuff. We broke everything in Salt Lake City. So people in Salt Lake City thought we were like this, these maniacs, right? Right. We had great shows there. So then then we played our last show in Denver, and we had the shirts. It's like um, I saw Warlock Pinchers last show. Now I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and it was a clown with a gun in his head. Right. You know? It's like. And people are like, is this really real? Because it's like we way over-publicized. You know, some people say it's their last show or whatever. Right. Like, no, seriously, this is our last show ever. We are, we are erasing. And it wasn't, it wasn't an acrimonious situation at all. Like, you guys all just kind of mutually just think, went. Yeah, I think we're like, okay, well, we'll do on. something else, right? Like, right. Mark and I were doing a lot of the, the kind of the back-end work, the merch, the touring, the, I mean, the tours, the booking the tours. Right. Um, and yeah, we all kind of we all had so many varied interests that the band you weren't was not, super wrapped up in yeah, it. Yeah, like we weren't it like if I don't have this band, what I'm not gonna have a life, you know. We, Plus, it hadn't become. It, I mean, you guys were had momentum, but it hadn't become like the iconic, legendary status that it has become in like my generation's right, eyes. You right. know what I mean? Like it was just. You guys, in your own minds, were probably just like, ah, our, our band's done. No big deal. Right. And, and and as big as we got, I mean, our last shows, our last several shows, like at the Gothic, we would sell out the Gothic. So that's that's roughly a 1,000 people. Yeah, that's so really that's cool. pretty good. I mean- That's really good. And bands, so like some bands who got big, like the Fluid was a band before us, and they got big, and they moved to Seattle or whatever. They got right. on- They got on- Sub Pop, um, Sub Pop right? and stuff. So, so they kind of transcended that. But for us- we were pretty much like the biggest small band from here, you know. Right. And so, uh, so we're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna quit at the height of our popularity. That seems really dumb, but who who knows? Oh well. And it ends up what happens is it it freezes us in time. Right. Right. A that's the day the the day of our last show is the first day any of us made any money from the band. <laughs> Because we always put the money back in. Like, it's like, oh, we right. got m- money for touring. I mean, I remember. There was nothing to put it back into. So you yeah. guys are like, yeah. oh, and like, wow. All the, all the money for merch, I was controlling all the stuff for the merch, and I would just come up with more merch, right? Like, oh, we sold all the whatevers. Now I can buy 144 of some other ridiculous thing. Right, right, right. right. And so, but yeah, the day of that show, we, we all just divided up the money and sold the van and, and s- tried to sell all our merch, you know? Right. And it's like, Holy shit, we all just made money for the first time from this band. And it's like, 
it's weird how we were never in it for money and we always put the money back in, but now there's nothing to put it you into. You guys just liquidated it all? Yeah. And, just... and we were like, wow, we actually just made a bunch of money for all the work that we did. Right. I mean, hourly, it was probably five cents an hour. But like, right. you think of it as like, wow, we actually, you know. we And because we froze. I've got the net worth of my career in my hand right yeah. now. Yeah. And so, and then um, for months and months after that, um, you know, and, and now the, the uh, um, you know, wax tracks and stuff, we're selling everything and people were like buying more then because now right. it doesn't exist you know and i kind of know like i got into big black um steve albini's right big black after they had quit and it's like i want to see them live i, I gotta see it and it, i can't because they don't exist right. and it's like i know what that feeling is and that's where people come in and it's passed down to the younger brothers and right. the babysitter passes it down to the kids right. and like so your your generation was it becomes like a ghost yeah. you know what i mean and it's like this is a band that you can't see but you have to listen to it right. you know and it's like i can't see it so i want to see it and so right. people for and i can't for, wiki, i can't wikipedia you guys at yeah. this point you no, know what i mean it's all it's all legend so it's i've got all, like a picture and then i've got like what you guys have written in the album and then as I get older, I've got these little crumbs of information that I get from people who were there. Yeah. So it gives this like, it gives this mythology to you yeah. guys. It like makes you guys like a, like folk heroes. Almost, right. And it, so it does get passed down in the stories of the shows and the crazy stuff. And so it all, it's, it's all gets passed down and it's still happening. I mean, like, yeah. and it's crazy because some people come up to me and like, were you in that Warlock Pinchers band? I was like. How do you write? That was 30, literally 30, Dude, 30 years ago. Dude, you've done so much since then. Yeah. All right. So, so how old are you when you get out of Warlock Pinchers? So, you're out of college. You're, what, 20 by the time um, you Probably quit? like 22 you're or something. You're 22 by the time yeah, Warlock like Pinchers done. Yeah, like 22, 23. Okay. So, um, so, literally 30 years ago here. Yeah. So, what do you do next? Like what happens after the Warlock Pinchers are done? What do you do next? Yeah. So I had started a band called Scramblehead. Right. And that was all Charles Manson songs. Okay, I've the heard Charles about Manson this. Charles Manson folk tunes that was just him on the guitar. <laughs> right. Lots of like groupies. Which are groupies, beautiful you know. songs. Oh, amazing music. And, and, and really People awesome. don't really know that. The Charles Manson is a... Like was a marvelous songwriter. Yeah, yeah, and and, and good singing. Too. Yeah. And then... And, and he um, probably could have been a legitimate... Like rock pop star had things not gone the way that they yeah, went. I, I I think so. I mean, I really enjoy the songs, right? right. And the Beach Boys, you know, he was hanging out with right. with Dennis Wilson and stuff, and, and right. um, it could have happened, right? But of course, it did. In an alternate universe, right? Um, but so I wanted to do those songs, but do them like in what Manson became, like. Um, Agro, you know, right? So we had two guitar players, two bass players, um, two to five drummers, drum machine. Two to five yeah. drummers, yeah. That's a large spread, so, my man. Large, well, because sometimes we'd have two drummers, but and we would just line up a bunch of toms, and right. they would all play them, and they would share drums. They would be going back and forth, right. like so. It's kind of it was kind of a visual thing, and, and drum machine too. And so we had the the Alesis industrial right. drum machine, so it was like like harder sounds. And um, I did all the vocals on Walkie Talkie, like a CB band Walkie Talkie. Right. 
And so just yelling in a walkie-talkie. Is, is that just, something that like transferred over from the Warlock Pinchers stuff? Because you guys did a lot of the megaphones. Yeah, stuff. we had the stuff with the megaphone into the mic and the distortion. And this, but and this so, is like CB walkie-talkie yeah, or just like CB walkie-talkie. And so I would. It was funny because at, at a how'd show, you amplify it? Um, I would just give. I would just give the. I would put the receiver, the CB receiver, at the soundboard, and, it's and like, they'd plug it in. Here, take take the quarter inch out from the CB, and they're like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, yeah, this is the vocals. And they're like, this little wireless. I mean, because there was it wasn't even wireless right. vocals back then, right? But I'm wireless, right? <laughs> and so then, so then I have the walkie-talkie, and like, if you if you talk into the walkie-talkie, you push down the button and talk, and it's like, and then, but if you just push down the button, it's just feeding back through the whole room. It's beautiful. It's just like, you know, because it's. But if you're talking. There's there's a louder, you know, because it's amplifying whatever's coming in the condenser. Right. Mic. And so if you're talking, it's really loud, and so you don't get the feedback. But as soon as you stop talking, it just starts feeding back. So it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's, a, it's the best thing for vocals. And it was just shrill and loud. We all had X's on our heads. Had three um, female uh, backup singer go-go dancers, all with X's on their heads. And at some shows, um, they had guns on stage with um, shooting blanks. So they, they they would march There's out. No way you could get away with that today. Never. And, and even having gotten like um, uh, banned from CU campus in the Warlock Pincher days, somehow I got them to let us have guns with blanks on stage. How did you guys At get CU campus? How did Warlock Pinchers get banned from CU campus? Oh, that's a whole nother story. You know the song "We Got the Beast," right? That song is about that. But basically, so it was called Quigley's later one Club One Fifty Six, right? And we we played there a bunch because they was like they would always call us like oh we, we open up for this band you know so right. we just kind of got sick of playing there and so we're like what can we do to uh, to to not like if we said like no we don't want to do this show then we're like elite assholes right? right so it's like we have to make it their their prerogative so they won't call us so anymore. they won't call us so we played with this this um, not even a band but a performance art group called the haters. Which was coming out of San Francisco, and they would just they would bring in a bunch of stuff and create entropy, which means they would just start like breaking things or like and they things brought would in fall a, apart. They brought in a bunch of couches, file cabinets. They bought in a box of lukewarm hot dogs they had got from a dumpster behind the CU game. Brought in this whole living room scene, and then they play like shrill music, like beep 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 beep, like from the old porn channels where like you don't get that channel but it was just beeping and you can kind of see it right right like, right staticky boobs or whatever and they just start cutting the f- couches with razor blades and they're all wearing black hoods with like holes in them and so and they've done this all around like the world. like the they've mentors a, type of thing yeah or? it looks like the mentors but they have no instruments their performance art and their their whole thing in those shows at least i mean they've done stuff where they grind microphones on a grinder or like I just thought, well, they're still they're still doing it. They've had, they had their fortieth anniversary show. This, the haters are still yeah, a thing. Yeah, and so they'll come and they wear all black in the hoods. And um, there was one where he had, so he actually had a a, a plate or a, a table of sandpaper that's miked, and he was he was rubbing a bugle on it. And so it's like that's the closest they got to making music. Yeah, yeah. And so, but so some of these shows where they had done this entropy, and so they just start like they start throwing the stuffing. From the couches and stuff. And then they start throwing, like, there's, like, throwing a hot dog or whatever. And so then the crowd throws the stuff back. And so it ends up being kind of, like, they did a show in Fort Collins where it was, uh, 
they were just ripping pages out of romance novels in front of the microphone. Mm-hmm. So it's just this ripping sounds, right? And then at the end, they take all the pages that they ripped off in the, in the boxes and they poured them in the audience. So everyone's just pages. And then people are just like f- throwing, throwing the pages. whatever. But then people got a hold of the books. And so it was like a full-on book fight. And, and, but nobody gets hurt somehow. Right, right, right. I don't know how. So this show at Quigley's, they, and then they had brought the, these like insane smoke bombs, like industrial grade smoke bombs, like whatever, right. military. They lit them off in four corners of the room. And it just every it was just like and the lights were on, so it was just white smoke. Everything's just white. You couldn't see three feet in front of you. But the sound is going and people are still banging on file cabinets. And so now the whole audience is involved in this entropy. And then they left. There was like they did their thing. They started the entropy. They right. don't need to finish it. And so then um the CU security comes in after twenty minutes of this mayhem, and they're like Come to shut it all down. And there's like, everyone's like outside because they can't breathe because of the smoke. Right. And so and this is all on video, by the way. <laughs> it's Holy amazing shit. to see. And so, of course, we left too because it's like, uh, we don't want to be responsible for this. And then, the, um, so then there was this whole letter writing campaign where I wrote a letter to the, um, the campus paper saying like, like the next day, like, I can't believe this show I was at last night. <laughs> There was it was like mayhem and it was a mess and it, you call that music like I'm offended or whatever and then the next day I wrote a letter as me Casey Kasem for more like pinters I was like you just don't appreciate good music you know what are you listening to and so I had this like fake letter writing campaign going back and forth <laughs> what the fuck so then of course they never ask us back they we never got paid I went to go get paid for that show like. And they were like, you're not getting paid for this. You know, you, we, we had to take out like three dumpsters full of stuff. And you guys destroyed our club. And I was like, well, what got destroyed? And they're like, well, there was couches and file cabinets and, and all this stuff. And I was like, but that was all stuff that they, that they brought in. Right. I like, what got destroyed of yours? And they're like, well, the carpet was dirty and like a chair got broken. And it's like, okay, well, you could take that out of our pay. Right. You know, and however much time that somebody spent cleaning it up but like we didn't track we didn't destroy your club nothing got broken really right you know right. and so they're like but uh, but it, it did you know and so that so then we just don't like you yeah like i can't just say we don't like you you're weird go yeah. away and so electric hoedown was also about so we got two songs out of that mayhem you know and um and then they would call they called venues that we were playing after that and tell, told them we were going to trash their club <laughs> like they were vindictive, not just like, no, you're not getting paid. No, you're not ever playing on campus again. But they were actually vindictively trying to get us like, man, you know, it was crazy. But, man. but, but that's okay. a digression. So, so then, so, somehow, so then Scramblehead. Scramblehead. I was like, I want to have you guns people on stage. on stage with, with real guns, real shooting guns, blanks. shooting blanks. And so these no women come out, they today. march out with like fog and strobes and music. And they're like shooting the, you know, blanks just in the air. And I'm just like. I can't believe we did that. But and what we, we had to do we had to go through the theater department and get them to sign off on we understood how to use weapons with blanks. Right. And you don't point it at someone's face or whatever. Right. You got to actually hurt, you know. And so we just proved that we knew how to shoot guns with blanks and the the theater department signed off on it. And so uh, Club 156 signed up on it. It was ridiculous. It's the same thing as like doing a show with with a gun in it. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it's the theater, yeah. it's a theater right? Like, you, yeah. you shoot a blank. It's a real, you know. Like I did a, I did a student film one time, and they wanted to shoot blanks, and they were doing like a gangster movie sort of thing, and like 
they needed someone to come in and be like the firearms experts. So my dad, who was a Denver police officer for right, 43 right. years, they like he had to come hang out on set just to make sure that the gun was being fired properly. Yeah. Like so you guys just went right through the theater department and that's how you got yeah. that legitimized. Yeah. That's it's so crazy. weird. So I'm, so even then I'm still doing stuff that I mean it's right. like it's shocking to some, entertaining to others, offensive to others. You know, I'm still doing the same kind of tenets of what I've learned about. Right. Um, and uh, Mark had done Foreskin 500, which, right. got, you know, they got on a big label. They toured a bunch. They were, uh, they got pretty far. Um, and I didn't really do any music, but after, and, and so, and then after we quit, so quit in 92, and then, so when was that, um, the tribute album? Was that? So, so, and it, it let's talk about that. Yeah. Because I yeah, want to kind of talk next, about what happened between. the next era, yeah. So, the tribute, the so when I first met you in person, was I found out I can't remember how I found out, but I found out that you guys were putting together this Warlock Pinchers Imposters album, and I had always been a fan. I already had the song picked out that we wanted to do, and God, this that's fourth year freshman, yeah, fourth right? year freshman. And I got a hold of you directly because the contact for the project was like, you know, I, I think it was like you had a website up or something like that. And someone had told me about it. And the website was had your email address. And it's like, hey, if you want to participate in this. And I wrote you directly. And I was like, you know, huge fan for years. We would love to do Devil Without a Pause, blah, 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 blah. We ended up going to a small studio. I don't even remember whose studio it was. I remember it was like a, a basement studio in Five Points or something. I don't wow. even remember. I don't even remember who it was. We only recorded the one thing with them. And so we went there and we recorded our version of Devil Without a Pause and then a couple like 30-second songs that are that are in a folder somewhere that actually, before she passed away, Jordan sent to me. Oh, wow. Jordan sent me her entire archive of you know, fourth year freshman wow. stuff that we had never released, which was really cool. Some uh, of it, I have to get like the files recoded or whatever, cause they're just that old. You know yeah. what I mean? But, um, but yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I want to say that was probably 2000 ish. Yeah. I think that's 2000, that 2001 ish. Right. Yeah. Um, in fact, it was probably, it was probably pre nine eleven, so we would probably say it was probably two thousand. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, and well, no, because I was I was out of high school by yeah, so two thousand two thousand one, we'll say. So, what happened between you stopping music and Scramblehead, and then so that's like ninety two Scramblehead goes till when? Uh, probably like ninety seven. Like it was another like a five year. Okay, so but yeah. that was mostly what you were doing at that point was yeah. that band, right? Yeah. So what happens from '97 up to 2000? What are you doing then? Yeah, gosh, I'm trying to think of what I was. I was probably still. I wasn't making T-shirts. Dang, I don't know what I was doing back then. Yeah, late '90s, late '90s. Um, traveling a bunch, I think. Traveling yeah. a bunch. I, I I went to I went to Europe in like the early '90s, probably '92 or '93, and like. Just started traveling a bunch, right? So I think like just kind of seeing stuff. Ah, I'll I'll, I'll think of what I was actually right, right. Anything I was actually doing, because um, yeah, that seems weird. But uh, so you got you got this 
just a whole bunch of musicians ranging from little guys like us to bands that were even littler than us at the time that were just like... Bands I'd never heard of. Yeah, just you know? like artists, just like noise artists and stuff like that, all the way up to um, underground household names like the Melvins. You had Wesley Willis on there. Yeah. Wesley Willis was actually at the show. I met him at the show. Ah, uh, cool, cool. And I'm outside and I see him walking up and someone goes, that's Wesley Willis. And I go, I go, dude, Wesley, it's so nice to meet you. And he like grabs my head and he goes... <laughs> Give me a rah. And I went rah. And then he headbutted me. And he had that he had that lump on his head that like the rumor was he got that just from headbutting people so much, but who knows what it right. really was. <laughs> and he's like the whole show hanging out in the the front like reception. I mean it's monkey mania, so reception right. area, <laughs> you know. Whatever, but like the front room of monkey mania, and he's just drawing those pictures that like I'm sure now sell for thousands of dollars yeah, on, iconic on the internet. Stuff, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I'm like, oh, you know, I I love your drawings. And he goes, you like it? You want to buy a drawing? And I go, I go, how much are they? And he's like, three hundred bucks or something <laughs> like that, just selling a bit, like his little marker drawings and stuff. And um, there's the monitor that you've got going, the TV that is like playing the loop of all the uh, interviews yeah. and stuff. So this is like a huge treat for me to like see the little museum of of all the art that you guys all the did flyers and, and the the meat cannon, yeah, and, and the meat, yeah. just all that stuff. And then. You know, the show was just this, like, wild monkey mania party. And uh, I remember I remember meeting you and being so just, like, surprised by, like, what a nice guy you were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think I had this image in my head, I guess, of Casey Kasem from the Warlock Pinchers just being this, like, crazy punk rock guy. Right. Like, I had no Yelling, frame of reference. aggro. Yeah, like, and, and I met agent you. Agent of chaos. And you, you were know. just such a <laughs> nice, friendly, sweet dude. And and I, I remember that, like, when I tell people about stories about meeting your heroes and things like that, like, I've told that people before, being like, being like yeah, when I met... Andrew, Casey Kasem from Warlock Pinchers, he just turned out to be completely the opposite of what I might have expected. Yeah. And that was that, that, that's something that stuck with me forever. But uh, tell me a little bit about what prompted you to do that Imposters album and, and kind of like what happened as a result of doing that. Yeah. So I'm so out of all the Warlock Pinchers, like I'm the social one, right? I'm the one who's like right. talking to people after the show and selling the merch and doing the stuff. And then after we quit, I'm the one who's out on the town i'm going to shows i'm seeing bands and so people were always bugging me like you guys got to play again it's like no no no. we we erased our drum machine we're right. never playing again like you know we erased the drum we, machine that, so that was our way of like no we right. can't play because you know people are like oh you should guys get back together for this benefit it's like no we erased the drum machine we can't right we can't we can't rewrite all those drums you know right so but but I'm the one who's like talking people and the people who are like clamoring, right? People who never got to see us. And so right. um and so and it was actually not my idea. This guy um came up with this idea. He's like, Oh, you should do it like a tribute thing, like a, a bunch of bands are doing that, you know? And like I was like, Cool, and he wanted to do it. He wanted to and I was like, Okay, what you know, what do you need from me? Like, do it. Like let's I'll, you know, I'll help or whatever. And he really wanted Mike Patton to do uh, a, uh, one of our songs like he he thought that would be the coolest thing ever so he spent like months trying to get a hold of Mike Patton to try to do a World Like Pincher song and so did you ever hear I, back from him? Um, I I don't think so because I mean, he didn't he, end up being on it no right? he wasn't on it and and so but that guy I was like he had no 
he'd never put out a record, CD, whatever. Uh, he had no really wherewithal to put out an album, market an album, uh, get bands for an album. Right. Or, and he didn't have any money. <laughs> but he had this idea. He was like, it would just be so neat. So he started the idea. And so I was just like, okay, you know, I don't know what you're doing. I'm going to actually start doing it. So I like started putting out the word, finding bands, and then um, do- doing the art, doing the s- stuff. And it was like the hardest thing about that whole thing was um, – uh, editing it down to to like who who's who can't be on it right? right. I have like thirty submissions, and you and put I wanna, almost I think, all of them I think, on. I think, I think I put all of them on. Yeah, dude, there was a ton on there because it's like anyone who to me it was like anyone who's going to put the effort to to submit something to be on this should be on it. I can't believe you, know? you got that many submissions. Yeah, it was crazy. And stuff, people I'm sure like, if you put it out now, you would get like 300 submissions or something yeah, like that. Just yeah, there's because there's so many more bands and it's yeah. so much easier to connect and people. And what, I mean, what we find out, okay, so we did that and um, I ended up, I mean, I was like, I can't believe some of the cool stuff that people did too. Like they went pretty far. Some of the stuff were kind of straight ahead, like There was really weird stuff on there some, too. Some stuff was like, I mean, um, the Friends Forever thing where they... They had the Anthem 5 lyrics, and they went around Casa Bonita, and they got people to say, like, one or two lines from it. And so, really? like, Yeah. So, like, I am the magistrate or whatever. And it's like – so they, they got kids. They had teachers. They got adults, parents. And then you can hear the mariachis in the background. But they're all at Casa Bonita, and they just got people – and then they just gl- – Pasted it all together. That's really cool. And they really have this cool. like speed wrap, Anthem 5 speed wrap of all different people. I was like, that's the coolest idea ever. Like, that's really cool. People came up with really neat I got to go stuff. back through and listen to that. Yeah, it, it's on yeah. all the streaming services, right? Like, is um, it uploaded to anything? Imposters, I mean, Imposters you can get from the Warlock Pinchers page, but right. that's not on the streaming it's, Is it streaming yeah. anywhere or you just got to buy the CD? You can, well, you can, actually the CDs are sold out, but but um, I have download codes for it. Okay, I'll cool. I'll just give you a download code. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Ethan, do you got a split, man? Thank you so much for your time. I Thanks, appreciate man. you, man. Thank you. It's it's just still rolling, right? Uh-oh, yeah. low battery. Oh, that's okay. I'll plug, plug it in. Plug it in. Okay. I'll plug it in. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so we put out this thing, 30 bands. We had the party. It was so fun. It really, like, it brought it back around. It's like, man, this is such a cool thing that we did and it's still going. Right. right? And to this day, I f- keep hearing about more and more very successful musicians who were Warlock Pincher fans. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's like, it's like, um, Ween is my favorite band of all time, right? And they have this huge following, but they're not a very commercially popular band. But so many really successful artists that that you know that are household names refer to them as one of their influences. Right, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And and you guys like who are some of the people that you've heard from? So uh, Marilyn Manson. Is a Warlock, Warlock Pictures fan? fan? Yeah. What? Yep. A friend of mine was on Marilyn Manson's bus. Um, you know, and he was starting to do big shows. I mean, Scramble had actually opened up for Marilyn Manson. Really? Um, but yeah, they f- they found our CD on his bus. And they're like, "Oh, you know this?" It's like, "Oh yeah," you know. It's like that's so, so cool. Yeah. And then um, uh, West Borland. West Borland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Warlock and, Pictures fan. Um, and yeah, say what you will about Limp Bizkit or whatever, but like West Borland was like, I, I mean awesome guitar player he yeah. was like the weird dude with the, well, the mask the, you know, the makeup he was playing, dude and, he was playing the music that was going on at the time yeah you know. yeah and he and he played with a bunch of other stuff but he he was in town 
And I met him, and he was like, oh, my God, circus-sized peanuts got me through my junior year of high school. No fucking yeah. way. He was like, we listened to that every day. We were so angry teens, and that was our outlet. Right. You know, we're like yelling, sitting in the car, yelling along with the, you know, I was like, damn, that's, that is so cool. Well, dude, there was nothing like it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, you know, you listen to like the lyrics to like Morrissey Rides a Cock Horse, and it's like, I didn't even know who Morrissey was. Right. I didn't <laughs> even, you want to yell about him. <laughs> dude, I didn't even hear the Smiths until I got older. Oh, wow. And like, that song like kept me off of Morrissey. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. I just I never took any interest in dude. It's like the people who hate the Eagles because the Big Lebowski told them to, or the right. people who hate Led Zeppelin because Screeching Weasel told them to. Like, <laughs> dude, like that song kept me from listening to Morrissey or the Smiths. Oh, like man. for I mean to this day. That's like, it's amazing. just like, nah, Morrissey rides a cock horse. I'm not interested. <laughs> Preemptively. <laughs> it's funny because that song has, still has so much relevance because Morrissey is still around. And, and he's, he's still an asshole. a bigger and bigger dick every day. He's a, he's a bigger dick than he ever was, Ever man. was. Um, like, you guys just thought he was, at that time, you guys just thought he was kind of pretentious and a boner, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and now it was like, he's we like, we want to have a, a song that's all obscenities, right? <laughs> right. Like, that, maybe maybe PMRC will put a label on our album right. finally. But, um, but yeah, but then it ends up being like, ah, he's just a bigger and bigger asshole even now. Right. And there's a podcast called Convince Me to Like This Band. Have you heard of that? No. It's just it's getting going now. I think they've aired a couple episodes. It's like your favorite band sucks, but they're actually trying to open up the conversation for a case to be made. Well, for yeah. So, it's, they so they take a, a super fan and a super hater <laughs> live on the podcast <laughs> and they so debate good. it. And so they were doing an episode. Um, so they did Slayer. Um, they did, I think they did Fish maybe, but they had they did this Morrissey episode. So they actually flew me to New York. We went. It was in Jersey City. And I met up with this guy who's a super fan. He's actually has his own Morrissey tribute band in L.A. where Morrissey lives. You were the con. You were the. And I was the con because Morrissey rides a cock horse. Um, And uh, we just had like an hour long debate about who won the debate. But but he the impetus is on him. He's got to convince me to like this band. Okay. What were some of his arguments? He was just like. The way it makes you feel and the lyrics are so poetic and like I don't really remember, but I was like, but he's but he's such a dick, you know? <laughs> and so but it, and That's so, your but, argument to everything, just like yeah, yeah but him being a dick, that whole thing. But but I actually because of that, I actually sat down and listened to Morrissey to try to find like something, right? And I watched videos and I was like, okay, what are the songs that the real fans really gravitate towards right. and the albums and so so we talked like album per album and picked songs and talked about videos and you like, like prepared for this podcast yeah I actually I listened to more Morrissey to, for that podcast because I wanted to have a I didn't want to just be like yeah he's a dick like that yeah, yeah, yeah. that wouldn't be that's that's a five second conversation not an hour long conversation right. so we went pretty far into it and we talked about it and, and I was like okay but when he makes this video and it has nothing to do with the song and it's like you're saying the lyrics are so important, but everyone just, you know, he's like dancing around with the uh, band-aids on his nipples or whatever. And it's like, this was actually a very serious song that didn't get conveyed in the video. And like, so I was trying to make him defend those things. Right. So it ended up, I mean, it ended up being, it's great. It's, it hasn't aired yet. This one hasn't aired. Um, I think it's this month, though. Like, maybe in the next I gotta couple get, weeks. And, and what's the name of the podcast Convince again? Me to Like This Band. Convince Me to Like This Band. Yeah, so, we'll find so a So stay link. tuned for the Morrissey episode yeah. of Convince Me to Like This Band. Yeah. That's so fucking yeah. good, and man. And so, but, but there's also, 
um, as um, my partner says, she's like, "There's," she, and she ne- she didn't know where like pinchers. She 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 knew of it back then, but she never went and saw it because right, it was right. satanic. Um, and she was she was good, like, I, "I have no interest in this satanic." No, band. but her friends would go, so she would go hang out outside with her you know f- with her friends and like not see us, right? Or right. So she didn't know, but she. Um, she has come to learn a lot about it because people come up to me all the time or they talk about it. But she's like, I feel like there's two different kinds of Warlock Pincher fans. There's the Morrissey Rides a Cock Horse fans and there's the Jesus on a Urinal Cake fans. <laughs> so in other words... So what's the difference between the So the, the Morrissey two? Rides a Cock Horse, it's like that's, that was like our... If we had one, that was our hit. Right, right. That's right. the one that everyone remembers. They know all the words. It was very... You know, in your face, whatever. When it's goofy and it's fun goofy and silly. And it's funny and like everyone loves to hate Morrissey, so it's kind of fun. Um, even Morrissey fans like it because it's actually, <laughs> you know, because when they say like, and when Johnny Marr left, they stole his baggy shirts, you know, like that's funny, <laughs> right? Because Johnny Marr did leave and it's like, as much as it's a stream of obscenities, it's actually, we're actually talking about real things in the right. song. So, yeah, even Morrissey fans sometimes like it. But, so, but when people come up to me, like they mention that song, or they mention something like "Devil Without a Pause," or "Devil Without um, a Pause" was always my favorite. Yeah, um, or yeah, a guy came up a couple weeks ago and talked about Jesus on a urinal cake, which was like the most blasphemous song. Like she's like, "What's this urinal cake song?" She's like, "I've never heard of that." I, Those are the people who are like, like considered were like pinchers, like a heavy, brutal band. Yeah, like, yeah. So the the Morrissey was like the funny, like yelling obscenities, but yeah, like. Um, the the devil without a pause and the urinal cake were like the blasphemous satanic right. like whatever so like so there, we kinda, got the beast too yeah, yeah we got the beast so it really it came into like two categories of fans that, and that's her observation having never that's an interesting yeah, observation she just sees it from people coming up and and talking about it yeah that's yeah. really cool man. but she made me recite the lyrics for. She's like, what is this Jesus on a urinal cake? No, I've never heard anyone talk about that until now. And I like start thinking about it, and I was like, damn, that's like, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, raped by God, a busted cherry. There were no coat hangers in that day, so she dropped Jesus in some hay. <laughs> he lived, he laughed, he loved, he lost. They nailed that fucker to the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, holy shit, that's the most blasphemous song ever. Right. Did we it, do that? It, it sounds like the lyrics to like a typo negative song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something that is supposed to be deliberately like deliberately dark and yeah. blasphemous. And that but, was circus-sized peanuts. But you were right? trying that to be like goofy and album, silly right? at the that time, was, yeah. right? But we were, but yeah, but we, I mean, that was, that was, there again, King Scratchy, I think he had a lot of darkness, a lot of fun darkness right. to him. And he'd come up, he come show up at practice with like this stuff and we're like, damn, that's like, that's that's out there. Yeah. Where And the, the kind of stuff I was, I mean, we, he, he wrote a lot of stuff and then I would help and we'd finish it. Or like, I wrote some stuff like, Meet Goaty Wody, you know, which was like the inside so joke the, song of the So what's the Goaty Wody thing? Because I had to, when we were learning Devil Without a Pause, the uh, this is back before you could find lyrics on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So I was transcribing everything okay. on my own. You know, and I didn't have some like phrase trainer to slow it down or anything. I'm like, you listen, He's you pause. it like a hundred times yeah. trying to figure so out. So I'm like listening to it and trying to learn the lyrics and I'm, and I'm transcribing them and I had to email you. Yeah, that's right. I that's had to right. email like, you. I was what like, are you saying power here? evil what? And you just wrote back goaty wody. <laughs> And I was like, oh, of course. So what's the goatee woatee thing? So we were on tour and there was some dog, some like goofy dog with a, with a, um, a waggy tail came up to us, like came up to our van in the desert somewhere. And 
E-Rock got like enamored by this dog and he was just like, oh, happy dog, whatever. But he had like a little goatee, like a little <laughs> like white, maybe it was like a black dog with like a white, I don't remember. But he's like, oh, goody, woody. And stuff. it's like, E-Rock's baby talk is our next song, you know? That's so, so fucking good. But that song specifically was, it was like our inside joke song of um, about touring. You know, but but in the devil song, without a pause. No, was your, meet, meet Goaty Wody. Meet Goaty Wody. Yeah, so okay. meet Goaty Wody. It's like, and even in the lyrics, it's like meet Goaty Wody, who's a dog, not a goat, <laughs> because it's like oh, we told you what it's about right there. But we talk about um, Bob's Soda Shack, which was like just some weird side of the road gas station with this um, one-eyed guy selling selling soda on the side right. of the road. You know, just like it was all these weird. Like inside jokes that all crammed into one song. Like that was so that was like my method of song. Dude, most <laughs> of our songs in, in the early parts of our uh, probably most of our songs up until the last five years were were inside jokes. Yeah, just straight inside jokes from start to finish, man. Or like references to movies or references to like rap songs like easy e songs and stuff like that and it's it's just so interesting that i listened to so much of you guys and that ended up happening without right. deliberately moving forward like like without that being my intent from the get go right. you know what i and, mean yeah and i think it's like i'm not i'm not so much a storyteller or like i'm not trying to tell you what mood i'm in like i'm not i'm not trying to be poetic i just want to yell and jump around right so it's like what am i going to talk about right so what am i inspired about i'm inspired about the weird guy i met on the side of the road or right, whatever right. so so it's like and all these things it's like you just got to say something and you end up saying the stuff that's you right what you know seems non sequitur but there's actually a story behind it but then if you actually learn the story it's like oh wow i didn't know that's what that was about yeah but people could interpret it however they want even if it was as per like a beautiful poem like you don't know what the songwriter meant right but you know what you got out of it. Right. And this is the same with like a non sequitur lyrics. You right, know? right. Or if it's just chanting Satan. That's well, like it's like it's like you'll look at you'll look at some of the most famous lyrics in history and it's like there'll be things that are non sequiturs that don't make any sense and you just find your and, and you'll get like people who like they go back and forth about what this meant and some interviewers asking them what it means. And then as soon as they come out, it's almost always some sort of inside joke or yeah, just like, yeah. oh, that's a reference to a joke that we had in the studio about da 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 Right. And you're you like, know? man, the whole thing. Yeah, like, American whole thing Pie. The, you know, it's yeah. like, what are all the things? So it's, yeah, it's it's awesome. There's a breakdown on on YouTube about American Pie that's, oh, that's pretty that's fascinating. Cool. And cool. like every line in that song is a reference to something from that time period, right? Like, it, like I, I, I'll send you the breakdown. And yeah, t- that it, sounds cool. It, like, because I've talked about it with people a bunch, you know, trying well, to think about what the you hear are. it so many times, and it's just like, it's just another fucking song that's been on the radio a thousand times. You know, it's just another song that's like, oh, here, Don McLean, American Pie again. You know, yeah. But then I, you see the breakdown of it of the lyrics, and you're like. Wow, that is a very clever and thoughtful and profound history of this very significant time in rock and roll. Like right. it, it's really interesting. I couldn't even begin to tell you what all the references are, but yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you. Just. But it's clever because you don't think of it at first, and you find out later right. what it is. And it's like, like I find. Almost everything is more interesting like that to me. When you find out what it you means find out, later. Oh, it's like, oh, wow, I figured it out or whatever. Like it's like 
It's like figuring out a movie that's like, oh, that guy is, is representing right. like, the devil or whatever. You know, it's like I, I like the figuring out and not knowing while I'm first seeing it. Right. And you don't you don't want someone to come right over and just tell you everything. Right. It's like not you want like, to like, like an action movie or whatever. It's like seeing the fighting or whatever. It's like, right. like but what, who was that guy that walked by and then he shows up later? It's like – you figure out like the right. reference points. And yeah, stuff, you start so. to pick up, and and then you figure out one little nugget, and you'll tell everybody about it. It's like, did you know that? You know, uh, <laughs> or like in Blade Runner. You know, here's here's an example, like from Blade Runner. Did you know it turns out that he was a replicant the whole time? Right, That's right. what that means. That's what the origami thing was. The origami yeah. crane. You find that out, and it's like you can't shut up about it. You yeah, know? that discovery because, stuff yeah, is yeah, super the fun. Discovery, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. It's super cool. So what what ended up happening as a result of doing the Imposters record? Because that I mean that was a that was a ton of fun for us. That yeah. was a treat, and I never really saw anything happen after the fact. You know, it's like thirty bands get together and are doing versions of your songs, and then what happens after? Yeah, that? I, I mean, I would say not a lot happened. Like you know, I had the CDs, I sold them at Wax Track, sold them at that show. It was almost like that was it. It was it was the getting the people to do the songs, and then them getting to play the people who got to play them, right? Um, and just being on the album, because I mean our band it had did not exist in the least, right? right? It was existed as a web page, right? And so, but people ordered it, not a ton, but um, I think it was really that show and everything leading up to that show was what the album was. It right. was about. Finding people and meeting people and people recording right. the song of the band that they never even got to see live. Like right. I think that was it. It wasn't that that so album was gonna in. was gonna propel Warlock Pinchers to even bigger small fame. You know, it was right, right, it, it right. was just it was literally I think that was the pinnacle of it was the release of it. Right, that's so cool. So yeah, it's, it's I, this this just occurred to me. I was outside of the show that night. And just kind of like watching all the people that are coming into the show and getting ready for it. And a priest walks up. Oh. And, and he was a young guy, you know, uh, you know, glasses, goatee, short hair, priest, like the collar and everything. And he comes walking up and I went, wait a minute, you're a Warlock Pinchers fan? He goes, oh, yeah, I got into him, you know, back in the 80s and 90s and when they were still playing shows and stuff like that. And then shortly thereafter, wow. I went to seminary. You know, like he he was a fan before he went to the seminary like and and didn't feel uncomfortable going to the show because he got it. Right. You know, it wasn't, right. he knew that you guys weren't a satanic band. He knew that it was a big goof and this big like fun thing and <laughs> I re- that really That's stood awesome. out to me that i thought so it was a cool. super cool that thing so cool. yeah uh, i'd never seen a priest at a show before no. let alone like an underground punk rock show at, at fucking monkey, monkey mania, mania. Yeah, yeah that's amazing that's yeah, amazing it was really cool dang well yeah and so and during that time during that monkey mania era was when i started um get your going which is my um at that time it was a sing-along project okay tell where, me about get your going what is so that? Yeah, that was probably late 90s, I guess. Um, so I just sing along with obscure music because I like I have a lot of obscure records and just weird stuff and like stuff that I really like that um, I want to play for people, right? But like you can't invite everyone to your house and play them the weird things. And like I've done DJ nights where I'm like, oh, I'm going to play all like songs about clowns and whatever. But you're at some – you're at Bar Bar playing – all this very curated stuff that you want people to hear, and they're but just they're not talking. paying attention. Talking. Right. It's just background but, noise. But I, what I realize if you perform it, at least one third of the people will are listening to it. 
Kind of right. because they have to. Because so you're just on singing on top of the singing records, right on top of the records, and <laughs> that's just to get them to pay attention to this music. Yeah, yeah. And so the first show was the Chevrolet Safe Driving album from the '60s. You got this record <laughs> when you bought a Chevy. You got the record. My friend Kent Roper found it at a thrift store, and we listened to that thing like backwards and forwards. There was songs. There was a song that was like. Uh, Simon and garfunkel type song about like, rain is a gentle thing, but not when you're driving. <laughs> and so, and then they had like the one that was the hot head behind the wheel. And it was like crazy banjo. Ding, and, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, uh, oh, it, it's for sure. Not maybe that a grown up baby doesn't belong behind the wheel. <laughs> So that's like the 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 hothead the the right right and so those songs are so good and they all and you like and want was like people a to Jefferson listen to airplaney type one and like I was like dad this music's so good so I just I I just sang along with it because I knew all the words and they were funny songs. how did people respond to that people thought it was really weird really they thought weird. it was really weird but they're like what what are you do like what are you doing and I was like this is this great album and then it's like. I'm turning them on to this album. But also, because I understand it's probably kind of boring to watch a person sing along with the record. So I had video. So I played, I had like crash test dummies and car crashes from like driver's ed type stuff. Right. Um, Slow-mo. Like I found these like um, crash test dummy things where they put like, they would put a doll in the back seat. So it's crash test dummies and then like a, a, a baby doll, not a crash test dummy doll, but just, and this baby doll's just like flying into the windshield <laughs> like slow mo. And so it was just kind of something fun to watch right. while this guy's singing these goofy songs. And so, I, I mean, I think people liked it. I think it was, but, but my whole thing was, it was something to talk about. Like, I went to the show and there was five bands, like, I don't know who the bands were, but this guy sang these like driving songs or like I did one right. of all songs from Waffle House because that Waffle House on the jukebox, they had all these songs about Waffle House. Really? Yes. Yes. And they're amazing. They're all, a lot of them are like country, like budding country stars. songs stars. about Waffle yes. House? Yes. Like a lot. There's at least probably 25 or So 30. every show was a different theme. Every show was different. And the reason was this. when I Because of Monkey Mania, when I would go to Monkey Mania – I would just show up. I don't know who these bands are. They're like the world's smallest bands touring, and they know somebody in Denver, and they get them the show. And like, Josh, you set this show up. Mm -hmm. And I would always see at least one thing that I'm like, damn, had I not come to this just to see what's going to happen? I have no idea what bands, who these bands are. And I'm so glad I came because I, I saw this thing I had no expectation for. Right. So I was like, okay, well, how can I, you know, I'm not in a band. I don't how have, can I create how something? How can I create that, something? And I'm not really even inspired by like I could. I mean, a lot of people it's like, oh, you want to be in a band? We could play a band. And I was like, I don't. Th I haven't have anything to. I don't have any lyrics I want to write. I was right. thinking about, but I have music I want to convey. So these songs and so that you wanted to celebrate, you wanted yeah, people to be aware of. Yeah. yeah, and so I would perform these songs live with video or other goofball things, and it was because I wanted people to come to something. With no expectations. Cause I, so I never would right. repeat it, right? People are like, are, I didn't get to see that Waffle House show. Are you going to do that? I was like, no, I already did it. I already it. did Waffle I House. I did it. Like, come next time, not because you know what's going to happen. It's because you don't, don't know, know what's going to happen. So I wanted to create a thing that people would talk about that happened that they, they had no expectation for. You know? right. And even if they hated it, because I've learned a long time ago, even if they hated it, they'll talk about it. If it's weird, they'll talk about it. Right. And so – 
And so I did that for like many years and just, and, and my goal was that not more than one person in the room has ever sang those songs. I mean, ever heard those songs. Right. It was obscure songs because- As obscure as you could possibly it wasn't, get. I didn't, it wasn't karaoke. I wasn't singing, singing songs that everyone's heard of and it's funny. You know, it's like, no, no, it, this is, I'm conveying music because I want you to hear these songs. And the only reason, the fact that I'm up here singing along is, is incidental. Right. It's only to get you to pay attention to the song. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so fucking did, cool. So I did that for quite a while, and then um, there was a show at Bar Bar, and um, do you know Jermaine? Of course. Played? Yeah. Um, she was putting on the show, and she's like, hey, do you want to do your get your going thing? And I was like, I, it, was, it was actually 2010, because I was working on the Warlock Pincher reunion stuff. And I was like, I don't have time. Because, I, I mean, to do a Get Your Going thing, I have to learn a whole album. Right. I make ridiculous outfits. You have to make all the make multimedia video, stuff. Like, yeah. it's a lot of work. So, I I just, like, I don't have time. I was like, can I do a PowerPoint presentation? And so, that's when you started doing the PowerPoint yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so, she's like, sure, whatever. Like, cool. Show up at 8 or whatever. And so, I did a, power, I did a PowerPoint, which is even more ridiculous than singing along with obscure records. Because at least that's music. And it's right? a really funny art form. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. PowerPoint is used in so many applications, like, like you know, a, a TED Talk or an office yeah. presentation or something like that. And you're literally just using PowerPoint at as your a medium. concert, right? That's like so I'm an cool. opening act at a, with bands, but people kind of people started wanting me to do it because a I could go on first. I don't have any equipment. Right. I mean, I could set up a screen and I have a, a projector, but I just set it up in front of all the stuff. So it's a very low. Overhead opening right. act, you know, and also it's like, well, no band wants to play first, but I'll go on first because. So to me, what were you doing for the PowerPoint stuff? So different every time. I would never announce what it was going to be about. That first one was at Bar Bar, and I did a presentation about the history of Bar Bar, and that building, and so I'm so I'm like. There's this building in downtown Denver, and people call it Bar Bar, but that's not the real name. It's Carioca Cafe. And like, it's like there's pictures of the building that you're in because right. you're at the show at Bar Bar. And it's people are like, there's, there's people like, in, like talking. People are like, play some fucking music. And, and like, I got and a laser pointer <laughs> talking about. You're like, we'll get to the music, please. Yeah, this, and it's this like, is very important. But it had been a brothel, it had been a chili restaurant. It was closed for a long time, and then it became this. Bar, the Carioca Cafe, but because on the corner it just said bar. Everybody called it and bar, a bar. Bar, and then and so then so Which then. Which bar like, are you going to? Uh, the bar, bar, bar. bar yeah. yeah. And so then people, you know, like uh, punk kids started hanging out there, and and bike messengers started hanging out there. So and I was like, so I was like, then it took this turn. So in the daytime, it was like a bunch of. Uh, Quiet drunks, and then yeah, all yeah, the yeah. loud ki- young people. It was would all come the in. winos during the day. Man. Yeah, and so then I'd be like, "This is a typical night at Bar Bar," and it's a picture from like twenty minutes ago. <laughs> that's in my fucking thing. So now I'm talking about you, the audience. You're up here, and I was like, and you know, then they started having bands here, like this band. It's like the woman; she was like a drummer, singer, and she was had played right before me. Right, and she's in my slideshow. <laughs> That's so and good. So it's just it was just funny and weird and like yeah, a third of the people. It's my rule of thirds. A third of the people who either knew me or were there to see it or just were fans of just the show and they got a good table up front are listening. The middle people are just like, oh, what's I don't know what this guy's doing. There's like a laser pointer and they're like, I you know they're kind of paying attention and the people in the back are just talking loud and yelling to play some fucking music. I was like. 
Wow, this was amazing. Like that was just an experiment, right? Right. And, yeah, people took to it real because it's kind of it's made to fail, right? Right. If if one person likes it, that's a success because it's like who wants to see a PowerPoint at a concert, right? And so it's it was amazing, and so people are like, oh, that was actually very informative. Yeah, I, yeah. That was cool. That was fun. And it was like I saw myself on your slide, from, and so so I started doing it, and I I don't think I really ever did a sing along one after that. And the pinnacle of that whole thing was then going on tour with the Melvins, doing PowerPoint. You did PowerPoint on tour with the Melvins? I did PowerPoints every night of the week from Minneapolis to Denver with the Melvins. How many PowerPoints did you do? Uh, I feel like I did like seven or eight. And each one was a different subject. Yeah. And you just worked on them all day, like yeah. Well, okay. So in that case, I did repeat them because I had I, because I was out of town. And no one knew anything about, so I took my favorite ones and I did them. Oh, okay. And and I let the um, the all the guys in the Melvins pick um, pick which one I'm going to do. So I would do. So I would have like my slides, and you know, the the slideshow is like how I got into this doing these slideshows. And there's like here's some here's some topics that I've talked about, and I would have this list, and then I would look at. Um, Jeff Pincus from Butthole Surfers was in Melvin's during right. that tour. I would look at some of the Melvin's guys and I was like, what do we want to hear? Or I like ask the audience, like, out of these topics, what do you want me to talk about? And so I did a different one every night. So That's I just, I really used my, cool. You let yeah. the audience pick what the, yeah. Present, and then you would just go right into it. Yeah, the, go right into it. And be like, here's, here's what, whatever, history of marching band uniforms. I or, think this would be a very appropriate time to pivot just a little bit and mention something that you mentioned to me at the beginning of the show, which is you have never done a drug. Oh yeah. Yeah. You have never done a drug ever because no. people might listen to some of the stuff that you've done yeah. and think that they were like drug addled rambling. Who is this whacked out hippie up but there? But you like, have, <laughs> you have never done a drug. Yeah. You've never been a drinker. Yeah. None of it. How, how did you manage to go through this, this life of being around musicians and yeah. maniacs and artists and all this stuff, and it just, it never appealed to you. Yeah. Even being at one of the biggest party colleges in the nation, yeah. you were at CU, in the punk rock scene, how did you never have occasion to even try drugs? Yeah. Uh, I, w- I mean, I would attribute it probably to my older brother, who did do drugs. He wasn't like a crazy druggie or whatever, but he did drugs. He drank, you know, in high school, whatever, and... I was so anti peer pressure. It's like I and I'm also I'm in the punk scene and like you were so anti peer pressure. Is that just like something you've always been anti peer pressure? Like even when you were a little kid, I I think so. I think it was just like I want to do something different. If someone tells me to do something, I want to do something different. Right. right? And so it's like, oh, this is cool. So I was like, I want to. I I don't want to do what the cool kids are doing. You know, like so I was trying to always getting fucked up was cool. Yeah, so always you forged didn't... my way a different way. You know, and I was I was in the punk scene in Denver in the mid eighties, right? Right. Hanging around downtown with all the punk rockers. They're they're drinking, they're doing acid, they're you know, it's like but I wasn't anti drug. I just didn't do it myself. You were just so a- I was anti conformity. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was my ultimate nonconformity was like I'm not going to do the thing that everyone else is doing, which is drinking and drugs. And so, and that's it. It was it, there was there wasn't like any sort of huge like I watched so and so go down this path of darkness. You uh-uh. were just like, nah, just uh-uh. I'm not. I mean, gonna I do used it. to hang out with my brother, drinking, smoking pot, whatever. You know, it's like I, I enjoyed the conversations, you know, with my brother and his friends or whatever, and like the punk kids and the, you know, the concerts and the shows. It's like, but it's also like, you know, the. 
maybe like, yeah, maybe like loss of control. Like I don't want to, you know, I was always the guy with the car too. Right. So it's like, I couldn't drink. I was like giving all the kids rides home to right. the suburbs from downtown, you know? And so it was like, I was just, and so at some point I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm never going to do that. So I never drank. I never did a, a drug, you know? And so, but I'm not anti it, right? Because right. most of my experience and even smoking, I never smoked, you know? And so, but I was always around, I was in the dance clubs, I was at the shows, like everyone's smoking, it's just, a, it's a thing that they do. Right. Like that just, I'm just different, you know? And so, um, uh, but, and so, and so, it's like, well, people are, you're straight edge. Like, how long have you been straight edge? It's I was like, like, oh, no, 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 no I, I'm, I'm not, not straight, straight edge. edge. Straight edge is like anti, right? That's it's like, an ideology. Yeah, that's an ideology where it's like, you shouldn't do this. I don't do this. It's wrong. Something's wrong with it. Right. And I was like, no, I've never been straight edge. Don't get me right on that. Like, for you, it was, it, was, it was an afterthought. You know, it's just like, this is just a thing that I happen not to do. Yeah. Like, it, you know, it's... it's I mean, it's it's the same as like people who don't get tattoos or right. or uh, you know, it, like it's just something that you never you never picked up. Like I don't chew gum, you right. know what I mean? Or yeah. not, I'm, I'm not really big on sweets, you know yeah. that sort of thing. You just never picked it up. Yeah, and I remember a guy at Lionsley once. He was like, "Okay, but how are you gonna know if you never do it? How are you gonna know what it's like? You're missing out on that in life." And I was like, "You're not missing out on." I it was either. like, "How are you gonna know what it's like to have never been drunk?" Right. You're never going to know cuz you've already done you've already done it. You've done all the you know. Right. And it's like so it's just it's just it's just another interesting kind of facet I think that people find that they didn't know about me or whatever cuz I'm always around it and I'm not straight edge and I'm not anti. And so but that said too like I'm interested in like especially nowadays with like the mixology cuz I'm into like wacky food and drinks and displays and so like someone will have like a fancy looking drink and like so I, I take a sip of someone's drink to find out what it tastes right. like because I'm not like allergic to it I'm not you know it's like I'm interested right and like I remember when somebody had um, Jägermeister and I was like damn that looks like coffee you know like and I was like can I try that you know like what does that taste like I taste that as like wow that's like it kind of is like the coffee of beer yeah or it's, whatever. Bl- it's black licorice it's, yeah it it's like. weird so 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 I get to live this very interesting life and experience where I'm around these things and I can I can You get see to observe what, it. Observe it and see what people are experiencing, but just not partake in it. It's just a unique case that I that I've created. That's for really myself. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> As I, I I just after everything that you've been and and not just everything you've told us so far, but like the other stuff that we're about to get into, because I wanna I wanna talk about like when you're doing the PowerPoint stuff, is that before or after you were doing um, the the ventriloquist dummy shit at oh, like yeah. uh, like with Oracle Dance or or like teaming up with like Ukulele Loki and and things like that, like doing the variety show yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is that around the same time? I think it's all around the same time. Yeah, because it yeah to me it was like and and a lot of that came from something like Lion's Lair, right? I hung out at Lion's Lair. But when it was like the bar bar, but what bar bar did is exactly what happened at Lion's Lair. It's a dive bar on Colfax, kind of hip kid. They weren't called hipsters back then, but like they were the cool cool people, the underground people started hanging out there because I think they would, they would let in underage people too. And like, so, cause I was going, I was going to Lion's Lair. Yeah. I was, I was like 19. right? Right. Just show up. My friends are there. All the regulars are there. And then these young people. 
And it was like they were just kind of blending in. And then, but then there was like young people start DJing there. And then right. young people get jobs there. And then they're like, we should have a band play. And I was like, no, like Lions Lair is such a cool, it's a cool dive it's bar. It's cool how it is. It's a dive bar, you know, and it's like, it's the, it's the weirdo. And like, you wanted drunks. to hang out there even though you weren't drinking. Yeah, because it was a fun environment. People, I would go visit friends and it was fun. And it was like, I could go, I would, so I, I would take the bus from Boulder to Denver, get off downtown and then take multiple buses to get home to South Colorado Boulevard. And so I could just get off the bus and hang out at Lions Lair for a while and then get back on the 15 and keep my route home. Right. And so, and I could stop there on any Friday night and I knew I would know somebody. And they were like, some people were older than me too. Right. And it was like interesting people I thought were cool. But there was also like a crazy piano player named Dinky who would like play like naughty songs on the piano and dance with the vacuum <laughs> cleaner and stuff. And I was like, this is weird. Life is weird, man. Like. <laughs> And I'm and I'm in a I'm in a school for electrical engineering right. in Boulder, and then I'm out like down on East Colfax watching the guy dance with the vacuum cleaner. I'm like I'm living like a, a fulfilling, bizarre life. Right. right, it had nothing to do with drugs. Right, it's bizarre just as it is. And so, but when people start working there, and they're like, we should have bands, and I so I was really like fighting against. You were like, fighting against having bands. Yeah. Or? Yeah, there's there at, by that point there was tons of places that had bands. We don't need right. another place with bands. Like, let's do weird stuff. And so I did like a ventriloquist <laughs> puppet show, and I I was I, I did, I did where it was like I had ventriloquist doll puppets with like a I built like a cardboard puppet show. Yeah, yeah, theater, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I remember. And then pre-recorded conversations, and so, so I call it ventriloquist lip syncing, because I never, <laughs> I never really learned ventriloquism. Right. Like talking. No, you would just sit behind the puppet theater yeah, thing. But, and, and they were ventriloquist dolls, but you're not sitting there throwing your voice yeah, or anything. No, I, it's all pre recorded. So right. the ventriloquists are lip syncing to a tape, like as opposed to actual ventriloquist puppets who are lip syncing to a guy talking without moving his mouth. Totally right. different. Totally right, different. right, right. And so I was trying to create funny, weird stuff. And then I did this Olivia Newton John impersonation act at Lion's Lair. <laughs> and I was just like. This should be like the weird, bizarro theater of people doing weird stuff. And so, of course, I lost the battle because right. it they're, did become. They're like, no. Not only did it become a venue for bands and like hipsters working there, but the hipsters bought it. And then, it, I mean, then it became like an actual venue for promoters. And now it's like touring bands play there. I mean, it's like, it was, I, I fought it and lost. But, <laughs> but then, but, and I got into the burlesque scene right you know, i knew people who had started kind of that burlesque scene in denver and i was helping with the shows and helping promote the shows and doing the contracts right some of the marketing and that. like the merch and stuff because because i knew all that from being in bands and doing all my stuff right and so sometimes i was like i'm the santa claus for the santa act or whatever right. so i was on stage a couple times but i didn't really perform until i did the ventriloquist act where i had i had rigged up a ventriloquist puppet with a remote control so I could have a remote and his mouth is moving when no one's touching him because that's the most creepy thing about ventrilo right. like Twilight Zone and stuff. The ventriloquist dummy moved and no one's touching him. Right. Not even the ventriloquist, you know, or he's the personification of the guy's alter ego. And so I rigged up the ventriloquist puppet to have a remote and I did the burlesque act where – he had his lovely – he was a magician and he had his lovely assistant. He's like, okay, folks, now I'm going to lie on the bed of nails. And so I'm I'm backstage with the remote and the mic doing it live. Right. 
And so then, so the lovely assistant places him on the bed of nails, right? And she's holding him. So it looks like, oh, she's the ventriloquist, I guess. Like in the audience, you don't see. So she sets him down. But his face is facing the audience, and then now he his mouth starts he's, moving. He's still talking, and no one's holding him, and people are like freaking out. Yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah, I took him to karaoke once, and when I first <laughs> when I first built that, and so I set him on the chair, and then I went and sat down. You know, they called him up, Eddie Spaghetti, you're next, and I set him on the chair. And then I just went and hid under the table. And so no one really saw because they're just like, what's the puppet? And then the song starts. And the, even the ventriloquist, the, the, ventriloquist, the, the karaoke, karaoke DJ was like, what's going on here? But I got the mic and the remote. And he sings, you got to fight for your right to party <laughs> sitting on the chair. And he's like, you got to fight. You're right. Because for some reason, ventriloquist <laughs> puppets always have the same kind of like, hi, hi, I'm the, the puppet. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was doing performance still just not in bands i right. was performing a powerpoint i was i was singing along with songs i was building weird right well and it was in it was in line with with the the spirit of of warlock pinchers in that it was like performance art it was it was in creating an experience and like and like maybe if a couple people like us that's victory but we really want to go just like see what happens right we just want to just do some weird goofy shit it's something to talk about and like so like and we know i said i I don't mind going first right because i i do my powerpoint I'm the opening, opening band. No band right. wants to play first, but you got to have some. Someone's got to play first, or else the show never starts, right? Right. Because to me, it's as important to me that the person who didn't see it as the person who did see it. Right. Because the person who did see it, they they form an opinion. They go tell people somebody. The person who didn't see it missed it. And my whole point of these doing these things that I don't announce what I'm going to do is like, see, you missed this thing. And it was Gotta weird. Make sure and it was entertaining. There. Next time, come and see all the bands. Come and see the opening band that you've never heard of. Don't just come see your friend's band. Right. Come and see all the bands because you might be surprised. And you might be right. – that's how our band got popular, playing with other bands and people who actually came to see their other band and have, had to watch us. That's you know? super cool. And man. so I, I want to keep propagating that somehow. Right. Like, And it's like, is that tricking people into it, kind of? Is it using psychology, I guess? But so when someone misses – Get you going, and someone tells them about it, and it's like, dang, I kind of want to see that. You know, it's like that's the win. It's not like getting someone to come; it's the person who didn't come and right. heard something that they didn't go to. Right, was cool. So it's like maybe they'll go see something that they don't know what's going to happen instead of what they do know what's going right. to happen. Right. Yeah. So another thing. This is another thing that you that that you did, and this was a while back, but you did an art installation. The food face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was that all about? Because yeah. I missed it. Yeah. I, Dang, you missed it. Ah. I missed it. So, what was food face I, all okay, about? So, I'm a crazy collector, right? I collect almost everything. My website's called I Save Everything. Right. Com. Like, there's, there's a place on your website that is just like pictures of your collections. Yeah. And so, but, so I collect all this crazy stuff. But if I see something that I can't collect, I photograph it. So, like, my classic example is, like, a mannequin in a store window. And, like, I was never trained in photography. Like, in the early 90s, a friend gave me, like, the K1000 film camera, right? right. And I was just, like, she's, like, here's a bunch of lenses and a camera, like, I'm not using. And so I, like, learned how to use the stuff. And I got so into it. Not so much as being, like, the best photographer, but just archiving and documenting everything. Right, right. And so 
there was a time at a party where uh, I had these big glasses because I have like horrible vision, got LASIK now, but, and for some reason, I thought it would be really funny and weird to like take meatballs from like this like crock pot of meatballs and I stuck them in my eyes, but like up under my glasses. (laughs) Okay. I've seen that picture. That's on your website. And so- you know, like the Scorpions album with the, yeah. the guy with the bandages and the forks in his eyes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like kind of recreating that in a weird way. And it's like, it's like, what, what are you doing? Like, what are you people doing? We're like food face. And we're like putting food on our face. And so I had this whole photo series of just being at an event and putting some food on your face or whatever. <laughs> and so it's just, it's one of those things that like, there was no creative genius of like, I, I conceived this idea and I'm going to implement it in a visual it was just, form. You just it thought was, it was funny. It was and funny and it was like, but just like any photography, whereas like I was anything, if I see a cool hairstyle or cool shoes or a cool mannequin, I'm just documenting. And so it was like, I'm the guy at the party with the film camera documenting the party. And this is before cell phones, right? This right. is before everyone documents this is everything. Before everybody now. was taking pictures of their food. Yeah. I was taking pictures of food on film. Right? right for twenty five years, and I did art shows of for just twenty five years. Yeah, and I did so. I did an art. So the show. food face stuff is twenty five well, years. Well, th- the meatballs one was for sure, and then but so I was like, oh, I want to be an artist in a gallery, and so like I started pitching like ideas to galleries and started doing some like group shows. And so I got this food face show. So one of my first shows, I was like, I have all these pictures historically of weird food on the face. Right, and uh, so I was like, I want to do an art show of it, and then I got this show, solo art show of. I mean, you got a lot of press on it too. Oh yeah, but I was digging through all my old scan negatives, and I I I found I mean found the meatballs one, and that was like the flyer, that was the classic, but it was also like I had other ideas that of stuff that I hadn't done, so I actually did photo shoots for a lot of the pictures. And so there's there's one, and so I would get together with a friend. I was like, hey, do you want to do a crazy photo shoot with me? And they're like, sure. Like, what? I was like, well, it's called Food Face, so you have to have, like, food on your face. And they're like, okay, cool. So, like, one friend, she's like, I want to have, like, a, a angel hair pasta wig. And then I was like, yeah, that would be cool, and we'll put, like, sauce on it. And then the sauce will drip, and they're like, yeah, yeah. So then so she made this, like, wig out of angel hair pasta, put it on her head, and then I cut her hair so that it, like, made sense. So I'm here, I'm cutting hair, and then we put the sauce on, and we took cute pictures of, like, pasta hair, whatever, and then it starts dripping, and we put more on. And then, so I took all these pictures of pasta hair, and then it's just, like, all over her face and her chest at the end. Like, it starts out really cute and then just turns into a mess. Yeah. And so that was, actually had two pictures in the food How did people respond to it? I don't know. I mean, they're, like, I've never, this is the weirdest thing or like that actually i sold several like because i i kept bringing those back as and they, they were photographs on um canvas right. i got into that wrapped canvas stuff and so i sold some of those pasta angel hair ones like several times wow and so it's like it's on people's walls in their kitchen or whatever you know right and then um yeah i did one called shrimp dental exam we got like <laughs> giant shrimp because you know in the dental exam where they put the thing in your mouth, it's like holding your mouth open. It's like, ah, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm drooling. Ah. So we got giant jumbo shrimp, and she held it. She was like, <laughs> held, so it was like her and then a girl, a woman behind her, that's her friend, and they're holding these shrimp. I'm taking the pictures, and then she starts drooling, 
as you would in the dental dentist. Right. Then that was another of my food face things. You know, so it was like, so it was like the the idea was old, but it was probably I think maybe three of the images were historic food face images, but the idea was there, and then I filled you, in the you show made with more, all this new it, stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it was like, and that's to me, it's like, I don't sit down and think of an idea. Like something comes up, and I expound and you just go on with it. it. Yeah, and, and and it's like, like most people would go. Ah, uh, that's a dumb idea. And you just go, yes, it's a dumb idea. Let's, what could I do? Let's this? just let it exist. Yeah. Let's let. What would that dumb idea look like if it, you know, took seed and germinated and grew? Like if it fully expressed, what yeah. would it look like? And that's and the last ideas in that whole um, growing thing, like with the stuff I'm doing, the very last is like the best stuff. Right. Stuff I'm doing like the day before. Because it's like, oh, I'm just like, I've got that rush mentality. I got to do this. Oh, I got one more idea I want to do, you know? And like, and at that show, like, there was a company who made a bunch of stickers of food and people were sticking the the stickers all over their face. And I had a sign spinner outside with a big sign that said food on one side and face on the other. And she was like flipping the sign up and spinning it around. Like you got a professional sign spinner yeah. to come. That's yeah. hilarious. And it was just, it was ridiculous. It was so fun. Oh, and then um, I had little... Um, like uh, waiter um, w- uh, notepads. <laughs> so all the names of the pictures. Ticket presenters or yeah, whatever. Well, it was, yeah, it was yeah, it was like the bill, and that was like it was that was the um, the catalog of what all the pictures were in the titles. Right. And then if you wanted to buy one, so like you, people come in and like I give them the thing and it had all the stuff, and then they could like I want this, I want this, and so actually they had to fill out their bill if they wanted to buy art at the art show. So it was just like so I created so I created so a funny. restaurant of. Food face, art. That's food, so fun, art, you know. And there was food there, and like, so yeah. I just I try to take things to, the, to the logical extreme, and one step after that. That's and so fun. I did a show called Bloodluster. Did you hear about that? No. What was Bloodluster? So that was probably like 2012 or 15 or something. Um, and uh, it was. I was like, okay. We're all about zombies, right? Like, there's zombie movies. Everyone's dressed like zombies. We've got the world's largest zombie crawl in Denver. And, like, people are doing amazing makeup, zombie makeup. And, like, you watch CSI, right? And there, there's, like, a surgery. And I was, right, I, was like, right. I was like, there's so much blood, and it looks so real. The stage blood looks so real. I was like, does real blood even look real? I was like, what if I did a photo, photo show of all people covered in real blood? And I was like, would it look fake because fake blood looks so real or would look real and like super disturbing right right, right so right. i set out to do an art show a photography of people covered in blood just like and pig's blood or what no human blood it had to be human How'd you blood you get human blood each model donated their own blood for their shoot so we took what? blood so we so we showed so i put an ad on model mayhem so this is like a social experiment right <laughs> okay Okay. Put an ad on Model Mayhem says like Bloodluster, or maybe I didn't have the name, but like Blood Photography or whatever. And I was like, I'm doing portraits of people um, covered in human blood, their own, taken by a registered nurse. Would you be interested? And you had a registered in, nurse that yeah. took the blood. And so it's like, would you be interested in doing a photo shoot covered in your own blood, basically? And like, would anyone answer this ad? A stranger, because Model Mayhem is like, strange, you know, photographers and models can find each other, or whatever. And it's like, right. I got several 
several because I was like, are any of my friends gonna want to do this? Because like even friends are like, Probably no, that not. doesn't. Yeah, I don't know if I do that, you know. But like, I got several people to do it. You actually got and, interest. Yeah, and so like one one woman like so I met her in person, talked to her, like explained it, and I was like, what would you want to do? And like she had kind of like a southern accent or whatever, and but she had tattoos and stuff. I was like. Oh, she she kind of looks like a pinupy person. I was like, I'm I'm thinking of like a picnic, and I was like, would you be willing to do like a picnic or something, where like you're there's blood or whatever. So we did we did this picnic where there was like she's eating corn, like a close up of her eating corn, and the corn is just covered in blood, and she's got blood in her teeth. the The blood's running through each, between all the kernels of the corn. Yeah, and then there was like. Um, She's like uh, eating a biting into a strawberry, and the strawberry is like gushing out blood and stuff. So that one wasn't so much of a, a blood on. There was like stuff where it's splattered on her and blood and whipped cream and stuff like that. Like you got to build to it because you've only got so much blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I did one that was like magician's assistant, and this woman was like kind of she looked like a you know like a kind of goth magician's assistant, whatever. I was like, hey, I got this idea, and I was like. It's a magician's assistant where he's like solder, solder and it in half. really is cutting it, her in half. Yeah, so we made her blood was like this cut mark, and there's a bloody saw, and there was a live bunny because her roommate had a bunny, and it had like magic hat and cards and stuff. But she's like lying on the floor, and blood is just dripping off of her, and she's like dead, you know. And I was like, but then that's so cool. And so I, I had a friend who was like, yeah. I, that that sounds like I wouldn't do that or whatever. And then like heard about some of the sh- some of the shoots that I was doing and stuff. And so she's like, I want to be in this photo shoot. And I was like, Oh, cool! Like, what would you want to do? And she's like, I want to be covered in blood, head to toe, wrapped in a plastic bag. <laughs> it's like a like a body bag, like right, a, right. like a murdered person. You know? I'm like, cool. So we got the, more blood in that one. Covered her in blood, put her in a wrapped plastic bag, and like closed it. And then now she's like she's breathing and she's warm and the 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 blood is sticking to the bag and her skin and it just I was like holy shit this is like dramatic right and the good news the punchline upsetting line, a little bit too. yeah but the good news is all of these pictures like really did look like real blood and they were like super disturbing oh that's great so as as opposed to what I thought they might look kind of super fake fake yeah. and orangey and and the longer the shoot would go on the more congealed the blood would get. And so it just started getting like weird, you know, and like clumpy and that's, like that's fascinating. Yeah, coagulating and stuff. And so you had this limited time that you could do the shoot, but right. it, like, it got to a point where it's like, oh, it's get the blood's getting really good now, right? And so, but there again, it was like uh, just a, a weird idea that once you start doing it, went further and further and further, and it's like, oh wow, this some of this stuff is really cool, right? You know, and bizarre. I, <laughs> so, I'm, that, yeah. That's like the next thing I'm looking up when I get home. Yeah. Uh, so, you brought your movie. Oh yeah, with you. yeah. Which, um, which I feel like is like it's kind of the. Is logical this your of, opus? It could be <laughs> opus, or or just yet another thing that it's it's all of the same tenets that I have always done, which is so John Bonet's tricycle. Right. I mentioned I'm a crazy collector. Right. I lived in Boulder in the '90s, and so when this happened, murdered six year old tot pageant queen. I lived like 
I think like nine blocks away when that happened. Right. Where, so were you? What were you doing when that happened? You were you were in Denver, right? What year was it? Ninety six. Ninety six. So that would have been right around the time the band started. Yeah. Okay. Because we played it, yeah. our first show in ninety seven. So and were you guys in high school still? Or you? Yeah, were just we were in out? high school. Okay. I, I, if I hadn't dropped out, I would have been class of two thousand. Ah. Okay. So, uh, so that was right in the, the, the yeah. Yeah. So right it. in the middle okay. of it. So I remember it going on, and I remember like. Like I remember seeing it on the news and things like that, but I didn't like I didn't follow the the trial super close. I just remember yeah. it was like it was the big you know a current affair story that was going on. Right, and I remember catheter had a song called oh. "Fuck John Bonet" oh, that was wow. my favorite catheter song, and they would never play it. Oh. Like you know, because they had grown past that at some point. I'm like, that's my favorite song. Right. You know? But uh, so yeah, so I I remember when that was going on. So yeah. so continue what okay, you were. Okay, so like. And t- going back to Charles Manson, so these Manson murders happened, and that was the year I was born, so 1969. And so, so obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I was, I found out about the Manson music, and I was reading about mass murders and serial killers and stuff in high school, and found the Manson music and stuff, and I was reading about it. And it's like uh, Sharon Tate and a bunch of other people, which we won't give their names because they're not famous, were right. murdered by this horrific whatever and it was like right. it, i was i was very early on very interested in how things were presented in the press and rumors and people like oh manson he killed a bunch of people it's like well, well actually he, he wasn't the one who killed the people but what and so so the the obfuscation of the media right right and so and like sharon tate beautiful awesome um be actress, maybe, but beautiful. Like well, I and, like her and, movies. And wife right? of an accomplished director, a super right? super famous super director. Super famous, right? And like probably in the wrong place at the wrong time because of this house and the, it used to be like uh, Dennis Wilson's house from the Beach Boys and the Manson stuff. So very interesting and weird, right? But it's like why is why is Sharon Tate getting all this accreditation for being murdered? But none of the other people. None of the other were people. There. And it's like ah, it feels it just feels so weird. And so. Fast forward a million years later, John Bonet, right? It's like uh, people are murdered like all the time, right? Right. And not so much in Boulder, Denver. There's whatever. And certainly not little pageant queens. But this is in different, Boulder, right? right? This is okay. A, it's Boulder. People don't get murdered in Boulder. Well, they do, but they they sometimes say that it was an accident or whatever. Right. right Boulder right. wants to have the squeaky clean image. People have money in Boulder because it's too expensive to live. I always lived in like shitty basements because I couldn't afford to a real apartment in Boulder. Right, you know? right, right. And so, but this is like this mass, like this tot pageant, rich kid dies and it's like international news. Yeah. And it's like, what is going on in the media? It has not changed. Like people still t- talk the about 60s. that. Like John yeah. Bonet stuff still comes up. And so I, and I, so I just got interested in it just like I was interested in Son of Sam and Charles Manson and, and cults and um, Heaven's Gate and all these things that like people clamoring for information, anything, like because they want to know more, especially unsolved right. things. And so I'm part of the problem, right? I'm the one clamoring for the stuff. I want to know what the next, what's the other evidence, piece of evidence. Right. And so I'm just as hungry, and the media will just, they got to have something, right? Right. And I, and I was recording the news because every day there was something either come, came out or didn't come out, right? And I'm like, and I'm driving by watching Geraldo outside the house and the, all the media vans and the media circus. So, so I was into it. And, uh, and also, I mean, I figured that was probably the parents that did it, right? Right, right. It just seems so weird, but bizarre. 
Unsolved crimes. People love it. You, there's so many unsolved true murder, crimes. My favorite true stuff. crimes, murder podcast, unsolved. And the, so the one show that my wife and I can always agree on because we like such different things. The one show we can always agree on is forensic files. All right, you know yeah, what I mean. Forensic or some, files, dude. That's they take our go-to. you for this ride along. You know, like right. What's the next piece of evidence? And so. But this was like this was so bizarre. And then there's yeah, there's bands singing about it. There's people dressing up like John Bonet for Halloween. Right, might have might have been me. But yeah, there's like there's like the dark gallows humor side of it, like the yeah. the, the the too soon jokes. Because man, there's people always making jokes like the moment after something yeah. happens. You yeah, yeah, too I mean? soon. Is it too soon? Whatever. And so. So I was following this case, just like the half the world. I wasn't unique in that, but um, but I was documenting it. I was buying all the tabloids. I was just like I was collecting it. it was like so is this a documentary? Weird. It's a documentary. That's John Benet Ramsey's actual tricycle, and I own it. And I made a movie about what? it. What? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. This is like the this is the pinnacle. You own John Benet's actual tricycle. Yeah. How did you come into that? That's the first question everyone asks, but it's the one question I really can't answer. Because I've 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 been advised. You've been say, advised as I'm working not on to the movie. It? I've been advised not to really reveal your source. Reveal that story. But I mean, you could you you'll watch the movie. You, you'll understand by the end. You can make your own theory about how I got it. But or or am I? Did I make it all up? Am I that kind of prankster? As we've heard, I've I've had a lot of pranks about misrepresenting things to right. get a reaction. Is that what I'm doing here? Like you have to be the judge, right? Right. But that said, I also have um, candy canes from their front, like along the front path from the house. There's all these like yard art kind of candy ornaments, canes, yeah. ornaments stuck there, like these like you know yard things. And I have come across those as well. And so in the movie, and I had this idea for this movie like a million years ago, like, oh, we should take this to a psychic. Because, okay, when I, when, I, when I acquired this, which was w- less than a month after the murders, murder happened. Right. The candy canes and the trike. Of course, I was not really telling anybody. Right. Because this is unsolved thing. If the cops came into my apartment, ba- basement apartment in Boulder with like Barbies and... <laughs> Like, you know, uh, Slayer albums and all sorts of fucked up dolls. And I have a computer in my Ooh. oven. I had a non-working oven. I had a computer, like a dumb terminal computer that said kill yourself and blood on it, like stuck in the oven. Like, oh, like that guy is the murderer, oh, yeah. obviously. We B- could take Before him. even interviewing you, they'd be like, we found the murderer yeah, today. Yeah, we got him. And I have all these tapes of the news of John Benet Ramsey. I mean, it's like, so I wasn't really telling anyone, but... I always thought, like, if if psychics are real, right? And I'm a skeptic of psychics, right? Let's say that right. at the outset. But if you could ha- give them this object, don't tell them what it is. And they, you know, some psychics, if they put their hand on something and, like, they f- see a vision or right, whatever, right. it's like, that would be a funny movie because it would be a, a, a debunking of psychics. Because you got this thing that belonged to this superstar murdered child. Like, something's going to come out of this psychic if they're... Right. And so I, but of course, they never did that. Years later, it was coming up on the 20th anniversary of the unsolved crime. So 2016, and there was a woman making a movie called Casting John Bonet. She was from Australia. Right, right, right. And so, and she came to my house because like people are like, oh, she's going to be here scouting for her movie. 
you got to show her some of your John Bonet stuff. And so I showed her the trike. And so I'm like, I was like, I really want to do this movie, but like, I, you know, I've never made a movie. What do, how do I make a movie? And so she's, she encouraged me. She's like, she oh, actually you encouraged you to do it. Yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, you should do this. That would be cool. And so I started just figuring out how to make a documentary. And like, I have lots of friends who've done, you know, been in, done movies and, and, um, and this thing is already premiered, right? Like you've yeah. shown it in, in at, did you like show it yeah. at the Mayan or where did you so show I, it? So I, um, so I took it to film fest. I, I sent it to a bunch of film festivals. It premiered at Denver Film Fest. Um, and actually, I, so I did a short because I was working on How the many movie. film festivals did it end up getting into? One. Just, just the Denver Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People were like, uh uh-uh. People were like, uh, no. Because, because it is, it's so bright and pop culture as a film and it questions us as a society about why are why are we even watching this movie? Right, right, right. It's an right. interview. I mean, it's a, it's a documentary of me and the origin story and what I've done with the trike, and I'm taking the trike out in public and making it famous and making a movie about it. So it's kind of self-referential. Right, right. And so it's like it's like not it's, a, it's all about the fetishizing of of these these characters that are like real people, you right? Know, and, and like the objects, like the yeah, the trike. and all the goof of the super goofy. Uh, suspects in the case, like like there's a certain core of people who said like the Santa Claus guy did it, right? Right. Obviously, look at all these evidence, and it's like no, the the photographer, the pedophile photographer, right? Um, and so there's there's all these goofball things. So I don't I don't try to solve the murder in the movie. I I talk about the goofball, the pop culture that came out of it, because and we talk we talk to a university professor in the movie who talks about. Is when we take tragedy and we put it on TV, we watch a show about it, we try to figure it out. Like, we're really are we are we trying to make it okay? Is it right? Is it, it becomes pop culture and the too soon jokes and whatever because What's we're our trying way to of figure compartmentalizing out. Yeah, it. we're compartmental. We're trying to figure out how to deal with it. A, a child was murdered, right? That's right. that's the most awful thing you could think of. But it's like on the on the news every night. And we're clamoring for knowledge about it. So right. it's like. And so I'm pointing at myself in the movie too. Like I was like, we as a culture have a serious, like fucked up well, vision when, when, of when entertainment. Human beings when they encounter tragedy, like really want to have it make sense and get on with life as quickly as they can. Like if someone dies, you know, the only people who are really going to suffer from the trauma of that loss in the long term are the handful of people that are in that inner circle. And the rest of the world at large is kind of looking to, you know, get some sort of resolution to it so that they can move on and not have to live with that existential distur- you know, disturbance that there is that there is just like inherent chaos and malevolence in the world. You right. know what I mean? Right. It's and and I think that, like, when you take a serial killer story, like, people are really fascinated about that, but they like to see that that person's narrative is contained in a certain way. Right. You know, it's almost like putting it in a museum. It's like, yes, there's a mystery about it, but we've even contained the mystery within the container of this documentary or whatever it is, or docu-series on Netflix. Right, or, you or know? photography or series. Photography or, yeah, series, anything. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 I mean, that brings up, you talk about death, uh, like when a famous person dies. Yeah. Right? It's like it's Kobe like, Bryant and then all the other people that were in the helicopter. Yeah, same exact thing. The, the, the Sharon Tate, the whatever. And it's like people are crying. People are 
genuinely, I like I don't take that. I don't take away that grief. Like they 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 are seriously grieving for someone right. they've never met, someone who's famous, someone who might actually be a rapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Settled out of court, whatever. But, um, uh, like. People are they want to have those feelings of grief for right. whatever reason. Or someone dies who who th- the person didn't know that well, right? Right. But they want to post a, a message about. They want to be Facebook. a part of it. They, yeah. It's like, and and it's like I'm not saying that's not real grief. The person the person sad that Kobe Bryant died, David Bowie died, whoever. Right. Um, I mean, I I know the feeling is real, that feeling of loss. But to like, some people, there is there is yeah. genuine grief. We talked we talked before we got on about feeling protective about when when someone you love dies. We've talked about that feeling of getting protective of the way that person is remembered. Like I remember, there was a guy who used to clean up at Three Kings. This guy named Eddie. And he was an ex-con, and he was this dude that we all really loved a lot, and we watched him waste away from cancer, and 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 he was a very sweet man, and I loved him very much, and I cried when he passed away, and, and I was very sad to see him go. But I would, I heard someone make claims to what Eddie's perspective would have been on something like, oh, Eddie would have hated this, and I hate it too, and da-da-da-da-da, and I knew that that was factually incorrect. Right. Like, I, like... Someone uh, posted something about like, oh, I hate UMS, and I know that Eddie hated it too, and he would be so annoyed right now. And it's like, actually, Eddie loved UMS. He loved how much money everybody made. He loved watching the bands. All the different and the other, You know what I mean? Yeah. He loved it. So I, I took offense to that because it, I, and I became protective of what Eddie's perspective would have been because I actually knew him and I actually grieved for him. Right. Or like how I mentioned... You know, how I mentioned earlier that, you know, yesterday was my brother's birthday and I caught myself feeling protective about about people remembering him. Now, fortunately, the you know, we made the T-shirts for him and everything, you know, like I had a couple different T-shirts made. So there was people that were posting things about the T-shirts and people were very re- respectful and reverent for the most part. But that there is this like... There's this way where people like, we saw it happen a lot after 9-11, where people like to associate themselves with other people's tragedy. Right. They like to kind of hitch themselves to the wagon. They It gives them a magic, uh, a golden ticket to, I don't know, vent some sort of sadness that's already in them. Right. You know what I mean? Or like what we used to see at the bar is like, like after someone in the community would pass away, you would see a lot of people who were really just casual acquaintances of the person come into the bar sobbing and then just getting shit-faced drunk and destroying themselves and acting like a, a maniac and doing drugs. And, and it was almost like they had a golden ticket to act out this dysfunctional behavior that might not otherwise be okay for them to act out. Right. Does ticket that make sense? Grief. Like a ticket to grief. Yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah it's, or the, the grief gives you a, it gives you a plausible excuse to act a certain way. Right. Which you probably were going to do anyhow. Right. You know, right. You probably were going to get drunk that night anyhow, but now it's because of this. Right. Whatever. But, but also, I mean, it's, it's like you could see someone 
get run over on the street and you could feel real grief even not knowing them. Oh yeah. Right? No, so I if saw, it's someone I, you've met once, yeah. you can still have grief. Yeah, I saw someone get I saw a bicyclist get hit on uh on Sheridan once when I was riding home from a late night at work and I you know, I watched this person pass away on the street and without knowing who it was, without knowing anything, there was this just huge wave yeah. of just like I mean to me, it was less – I mean, it was sad, but it was more like existential terror. You know, it was like it – was, it was a reminder that it happens to us all, and, it ha- and sometimes it happens when we least expect it. Right. You know, dead is a real thing. It's not something that happens just to other people. And like – my uh, my wife worked in uh, she worked for the Rocky Mountain Lions Eye Bank uh, for a while up until she was seven months pregnant and actually wow. it, it, it like and it is a grueling job just driving around going to hospitals and uh, uh, recovering corneas from uh, from bodies wow. all all day and night wow you know I'm talking like Christmas Day you got to be there if you Dude. got the specimen is yeah you got to get it yeah and uh and their whole thing is to just try and get a gross amount of of corneas they're trying to get as many as they can you know because that increases their rates of of transplant and success like i'm talking christmas day yeah she's recovering corneas from children wow you know what i mean it's just a super surreal thing and it weighed so much on her and one thing that she told me and and i'll never forget this is she's like that feeling that you get when you see a dead body, she's like, that never goes away. Mm. She's like, I got that with every single recovery I did. Just that wave of just like, it's, it's like a vacuum in a way. Yeah. Like, it's like you feel this just like, you feel this absence of life. Like, you feel this presence that is an absence of life in front of you. Yeah. And it's like, to call it sadness or grief is like, I don't even think that begins to to describe what what that feeling is of like coming face to face with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so so I do get that that people are are like legitimately feeling sadness about other people, but I I do think that there's a part of it that it's just like it's such a terrifying thing and so we want to comfort ourselves by belonging to a group. Right. And the group is the grieving group. You know, it's like, here's this person in our community that is no longer here. Let's all get together and be super sad together and get wasted and destroy ourselves together be, to kind of gather around the fire and not be so afraid of the things that are lurking in the jungle around us. Right. Somehow you're commiserating or celebrating or w- the life or whatever. But yeah, there's... I mean, yeah, and and you know, we said like people grieve in different ways, and they really do. So you you don't want to take that away, right? You don't want to like, be disrespectful to somebody else's way of but grieving. If it's superficial. It's it's weird. But um, my brother uh, does hospice care. Oh wow! Yeah, and so you're talking about the corneas and stuff, and so he's he takes care of people in home usually who are dying, right? And he's the last person that they knew. He's their last friend. Right. He became friends with them by taking care of them. In their last the days. The very last friend they ever yeah. had. And he he really it's really rewarding work because he's he's giving comfort to somebody. But and all his friends die. Yeah. And all of his friends die. His friends die all the time. And he can't really go on vacation because 
he he doesn't he's he wants to be there for them right. up until the they're they're gone, you know. But the worst there's two bad parts of the job. The company that he works for, whichever company it was, not any specific company, <coughs> the company who is making this person or their family pay some ungodly amount of money for in-home care that the workers are not getting the huge percentage of, you know, but the company is basically taking all the last money from the, the people or the people's family until the day they die, you know, because it's like this expensive care. So it's like kind of predatory, right? And right. it's just like rules and just ah crazy. And then the families, right? The families are the people who he's going in and taking caring, taking care of and feeding and bathing and doing all the stuff. And then when that person passes away, the family comes and not every time, obviously, but they come and they like, oh, how was he in his last days? And what was what was he saying? What was he doing? He's like, where the fuck were you? Right. Why is it me? This is my new friend from a month ago who just died. Right. I took care of. This is your person you've known their whole life. Right. Your son, and they're like, your they're mother. Like, Give your, me the cliff notes. Yeah. Wrap just it up. Tell for me, me, like, yeah, what was what was he like when? He, what was his last words or what? I mean, it's just like, fuck you. Like, right. You know, and it's like they're reveling in the death, but not in the life or the care. Or like how we treat people while they're alive. You well, know? It's like to treating- them, to them, it's like ah, here's another, here's another uh, uh, milestone in in my narrative. Right. Here's here's another chapter in my story. And just like oh, well, this year dad died, and and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. No, he had a nice long life, and and he was in hospice care, and I'm told that he went very peacefully, and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. Like it, it gives them dinner conversation, and people yeah, go, it's- oh, you poor thing. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, that's just so that. But your brother, who's there at their last moments, is experiencing the real grief of like that's fascinating. Right. And I mean, it's someone he didn't know all their life. He knew him for like a sometimes many months. He only know? knew them in that moment. He knew him in that moment, and he he was the person who was helping them. That's that's what makes the job worthwhile is the help and right. and the care. But then that person dies. He can't really grieve. He's got all these other dying people. He's going to like. Okay, I'm here from two to four, and now I've got to go to the other. Pla- I mean, he's right. So he's it's stacked on, and so he's carrying a lot of what is other people's lack of grief or whatever right. you know. And there's every different circumstance of why someone's not there, or maybe they don't have family or whatever. But like, right. just when when that happens, it's like that's like the absolute worst. You know, he said feeling. that's the, one of the hardest things. Wow. Yeah, and just ah, it's just so weird. And so, um, yeah, so that, I mean, and so those kinds of things amongst a lot of other things is why I try to live for the moment, positively m- mixing things up, you know, making people And making think. light of it. And, and you know, it, you're, you're, you're something of a, uh, do you know what a hayoka is? Mm, no. So I, I found out about this um, from this uh, Lakota dude that I met actually at the the Dink uh, comic convention and he saw us play and he started telling me about what the Hayoka are and they're basically like it's like you know in in a tribe you've got you know you've got your your warriors and you've got the 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 medicine man but then in in Lakota and some other traditions they have the Hayoka are like the contrarians mm. You know, they're like, there's, uh, 
the like famous depiction of the Hayoka is like is like an uh, like a native man riding on a horse backwards into battle. Ah, okay. Like that's that's kind of the famous depiction of the Hayoka. Yeah. And so it's like they're this very important spiritual like the like like this spiritual asset in the tribe because they are there to kind of like challenge norms and challenge the perspective and get us to rethink things and and satirize things and make people laugh and and make people kind of scratch their heads like that's their job in the community is yeah. being being someone who is who is a celebrant within the group that that is supposed to get people to kind of think about their existence a little bit. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. That yeah. Is wild. It's cool yeah. stuff. You yeah. know, I, I really want to go to, uh, he told me that there to this day, there, there's still like Hayoka ceremonies and things like that. Wow. And I, I want to check one out. One of these. Yeah. Days. That's wild. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I'm really trying to just get people to go a step out of their normal, whatever, right. you know, go, go to some place you don't go, go see something you haven't seen or you don't know what, or, right. or, question yourself you know what like so yeah i'm just i i I gotta give this a watch so so it's it's just all about the 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 pop culture phenomenon of john benet yeah the fetishizing of of a dead little girl man yeah and and, it's crazy and um i I, yeah it's it's i think it's just it's it's interesting it's also about collecting because it's like it's an object and it's like if you had two tricycles one of them belonged to john benet ramsey and one didn't why is this one? What's a, what about it? Like, is it because right. you know, like it's like Jonathan Davis from Corn owns Ted Bundy's uh, Volkswagen Bug. Oh uh, wow! And it's like, why? It's like, like horrific crimes happened in that right. VW Bug. Like, like uh, that's not cool. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's a, it's not. It's not cool, but it's also like. I can also it can be understand without being cool, right. right? It's like, damn, that is fucked up. You it know? can be interesting without being cool. Yeah, and that's why we watch the murder documentaries and the stuff. It's like Dateline, Forensic Files. Like somebody died for that show to be made, right? right? Because it's about that. But it's like we're interested in it, and it's like, and we, I mean, we're all gonna die. We're gonna have to go through that. Our loved ones are gonna have to go through that if we die. You know, right. it's like. So dealing with it is every people deal with it in every different way, right? You know, and so wow, Ugh. yeah. But I say in the movie though too, like I, I would rather have the what I, I say something like I would rather have the box of cereal that belonged to the the murderer than the knife that killed the victim, right? Because to me, the the cereal is like. The the murderer ate the cereal and then they killed somebody. It's like right. it, it's it was this is there. their normal was human the, thing. It was the normal human thing. It was the witness or the toilet to seat it. that belonged to the to the killer. It's like yeah. this person sat on this and took a dump every day. Right. You and know, then, just yeah. like the rest of us. Right. You know, here's the box. What kind of cereal did the cereal killer right. like? You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Exactly. The entendres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so it's just <clears throat> yeah, it's examining all those things. Well, you where know? where can and, people find the movie? Yeah. So the movie. Um, It'll probably be streaming some point, but right now it's on Blu-ray. But also, no one has, has Blu-ray players anymore. I, you should talk to um, 
Uh, do you know who Groovy Nuvo is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got a show on American Horrors now, oh. which is starting to go to some of the streaming platforms. And like our motion comic oh. uh, has been on Groovy's show. Oh, cool. But you should talk to him and yeah. see about um, <clears throat> American Horrors is a nonlinear streaming service. And it, it's starting to catch on. Wow. So uh, you might talk to him. In fact, I'll, I'll introduce you. Yeah, you already know him, right? Yeah, a little. But yeah, that'd be fun to just. Yeah, uh, I mean. Get a- if uh, idea, get it out there in the world, man. Yeah, you know, get so, it, yeah. get it on Amazon. Get it, get it on the streaming services. Yeah. So, so JohnBenetsTricycle dot com, and right. I've actually gotten a lot of press about the movie and and. Um, uh, what was the response know. to it at the film festival? Um, people, uh, people who see the movie really like it, but like people, a lot of people don't want to see it. Like people who know me, like, oh, you made a movie, I want to come see it, and they really like it. And people, strangers who saw it because it's at the film fest, but like people on blogs and stuff, there's a lot of John Bonet blogs, people trying to solve the murder and stuff, but like, they're like, this is horrific. It's exploiting the child. And it's like, well, actually, you don't know what the movie's about. So you, it's it's well, exactly the opposite. Y'all are exploiting know. the child by becoming obsessed with the right. pop culture phenomenon, you right. know. Or people say like, "Oh, I don't want to see yet another thing about jumping." So I right. think so I think it's it's hard to market it, but like once people see it, they really right. like it, you know. Um I've made patches. Those are really cool. Yeah. Thank and you for and, bringing me stuff. Yeah. And then uh here's enamel pins. Um and uh yeah, I'll probably get it um uh, streaming at some point, some point soon. But but also the Blu-ray is cool because it has like tons of extra stuff on it. Right. Um, I did a book about all my collections. Um, there was a big art show of like all of my collections. There was eight thousand objects in the art show, and we did a hundred-page book of it. That's super and cool. So, but that's on the Blu-ray because it's about collecting. And right. in this art show of all my collections, the tricycle was there, but nobody knew what it was. <laughs> It was just there. It's like, oh, guy has a trike. Guy has a whatever. Yeah, he's so, got all sorts of stuff. It just yeah. blends in with the rest of the collection. Yeah. So where so, where uh, what's your website so everybody can find all your stuff? So yeah, I'm I'm at isaveeverything.com. dot com. I save because I do I try to do wacky events. Um, you got a ton. Uh, I mean, shows. there's information about all your stuff on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and then John Benet Ramsey or John Benet's tricycle dot com. Um, so I mi- and and by great. the way, I missed the Warlock Pinchers reunion. Is that ever going to happen again? I, Probably not. King Scratchy says he's retired. He's retired. Officially <sighs> retired. He's like, you do whatever you want. I'm retired. I so feel like I'm a dick for missing going it. Going on podcasts. I feel like about, a dick for missing it. Oh my god! Um, all right, the funnest thing ever. So, uh, real quick before we get out of here, um, I want to give a shout out to some of our sponsors. Real quick, and tie this in at the end, and then I got one thing that uh, that I want you to do that we do with all our guests at the very end. So, first of all, want to give a shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, our most venerable nay, venereal sponsor, Matula Plumbing. Matula, Matula Plumbing. Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Oh, my God. I'm right under it. Look at Your that. number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Master of Poopers himself. Angie's List. Super Service Award winner back in 2011. One one was the only one that mattered. He'll wear the booties for you. Tell Jerry the boys sent you. Mutiny Information Cafe. This is a mutiny transmission. Mutiny is everything, man. Books, comics, records, live events, podcasts, including this one. Uh, Great selection of cereals. No one has a larger selection of Torini syrups. Nobody 
head on down to Mutiny. And Magic. And ma- Oh, yeah, they do yeah. Magic. Yeah, Open Mic Magic Night. Yeah, the Open Mic Magic Night. Dude, that gets brought up so much <laughs> when we're it. talking I about Mutiny. It. People are like, and Magic, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, thenugnation.com. This podcast and a whole bunch of other great content come to you from the Nug Nation studios here in Denver. Thenugnation.com uh, is where we feature all the, the the Nugs and their wacky adventures through the town of Nugville. You can see the stuff we've done with Afro Man, Red Man, Nappy Roots, Scotty ATL. Jeez, uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh uh, oh, Jaron Benton. Jaron Benton was one of my favorite ones that we did. We're getting ready to drop a thing with Ritz here soon. Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, yeah, our music video with Billy Ray Cyrus, which is... <laughs> so. Have you seen it yet? No. Have you seen the Billy Ray Cyrus? No. I'll send you a link to okay. that, too. It's hilarious. TheNugNation.com. Check it out. Flipside Music on South Tacoma Street in Denver, Colorado, over there on the rock block next to Blackout Screen Printing and the Keep Recording Studio and all that cool stuff. Uh, All the stuff you want, none of the stuff you don't. Life's short, make some noise. Flipside Music, it is an awesome place. Tell Ike the boys sent you. Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios, just off 27th and Larimer. Uh, We love Rocket Space. Hourly uh, Rehearsal Studios, fully equipped, clean, nice, friendly staff. Well, the, the places are clean and nice, and the staff is friendly, although I assume that the staff is also clean <laughs> and nice. Uh, there's also a guy who works there named Jason Bonham, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, Rocket Space. You ain't got to carry shit. Uh, Evergroove Studio in Evergreen, Colorado. That is uh, our official recording studio where we are working on our next record. We're actually getting ready to go up there in March to record 20 new songs, and it is the most beautiful studio I have ever seen uh, in the Black Mountain region of Evergreen. Uh, gorgeous views, and it's 70% solar-powered. Go to evergroove.com. Hit them up about your next project. And last but most, I want to give a big shout out to all the people who back us on Patreon. Uh, Thanks to our patrons, we are able to do this podcast. We are able to fly Tony in and out for shows. We're able to go on tours. We're able to make our comic book, our motion comic. We're able to record albums. We're able to do so, so, so much stuff because a handful of people believe in what we're doing and back us on patreon.com slash mfruckus. In exchange, we try to take care of them. We give access to exclusive and early content. Uh, We put them on VIP lists uh, for shows. You can get guest list spots. Uh, VIP parties with beer and food from time to time. Yeah, man, we love our patrons. If you are into that sort of thing, please go to patreon.com slash mfruckus. Um, now, first of I all, got, I got one thing to say if I can. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. just, I just actually started a podcast. You started a podcast? a podcast? Yeah. Um, What's your podcast? And, um, we don't even have a name yet and we just put it on Buzzsprout just to see how it goes. What's but, your podcast? Um, like what are you guys doing? So, so it's, it's this guy, Tom Banger, who, who was a guy who did put on punk rock shows in Denver in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. He was Tom Headbanger back then. Just putting on, he put on like the Misfits and, and DRI shows in, in Denver when there was absolutely no venues, you right. know. Um, but he and I have known each other for a million years, and we just we just sit. He's in D.C. Um, I'm in Denver. We just talk on the phone, and like this, we're just kind of bringing up stuff. And um, so we've recorded like two or three or four of them. Well, only one of them's online. So 
if people look on my stuff, they'll see it. They'll but see this reminds me of it's like it's just talking, but like all the stuff comes up. It's awesome, dude. It's I so love cool. it. I, I love doing this, you know. And it, it it started out as just a, I mean, it started out as like a big commercial for the band, you know, just an extra piece of content that we were trying to make. But now it's like. It's it's become one of my favorite things in the world to 93 do. Ninety three episodes too. It's yeah, not like you're just trying it out. You've no, been, no, you've been doing it a we're, lot. We're going to hit a hundred episodes next Dang, month, that's and cool. it's it's super fun, man. And uh, Andrew, I just want to say, dude, I I have followed you for a long time. I really appreciate the contribution you've made to music. I really appreciate what a nice guy you've been every time that I've run into you, every time I've met you. And uh, and thank you for so much for coming and sitting down with me, man. Thank you, really man. This has it. been super cool, yeah, super fun. It's been great. Um, so what we do every week in the audio version that goes out on all the, the podcast platforms, we do the one for the homies shout out, which is Gordo, our producer, will look up any band that has stuff online and we'll play that track at the end of the episode so people have something to listen to while they're deciding what podcast to listen to next. And we always get, uh, it's tradition that we give that honor to our guests. So on the spot, I'm going to ask you to give us the name of an artist who is out there working right now that you think deserves a little extra attention, a little extra love, a friend of yours, a family member, just someone that you've seen recently that you really liked, someone from the past that you think went unrecognized. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll put anything that we can find online onto the end of this episode. Or if you have something recorded and can send it to us. We'll Dang, that, that sounds cool. So it doesn't have to be someone right now. It could be someone from any time. It could be someone from wow. any time. Okay, okay, I got it, I got it. All right. Uh, Friends Forever. Friends Forever. Friends Forever. Friends Forever. Do you know them? Oh no, oh, I don't know. Okay, Friends so Forever. that's that was. Um, they were on the Imposters album. Yeah. Um. That was so that's Josh, and Nate, and they were Monkey Mania. It was Monkey Mania area era, and War Life Pinter fans in high school. You know, they were like that generation. But they did such amazing stuff. They would play inside a VW bus. They would play outside of concerts. So, like, they would go open up for the Melvins by playing in their van outside the show. Right. Like, well, right when the doors open or whatever. Do they have rec- stuff recorded? Like, yeah. Beside? That's great. Yeah, there's a documentary actually about them. Um, they made recordings, but it was very much about the live show. Friends so maybe, forever. Maybe a video would be more appropriate or whatever. But they would they let off fireworks. They threw stuffed animals. They they created the chaos, and I felt like that was a, a next extension of the stuff that I, right. that I was doing, or hopefully was an inspiration for right. that. And they just took it to the such an extreme. Okay. You know? And they would even go on tour. Like they, I think they even toured with the Melvins, not. On tour, with not the on the official they just, tour. They knew where the Melvins were they going next. The Melvins they're just, tour. yeah. So they're like, they're like deadheads, but they're like actually performing outside of the shows. That's awesome. And it's it's crazy. And then, you know, yeah. So so to me, that that's an inspiration to me, even when I think about it, because they did something that that I didn't do. You know, that was something. It was like, but it was something with those same tenets of unexpected. You know, no expectations, but but people remember it and they talk about it and like what what, what just happened we don't know you know right so I think that I that's think awesome. friends forever look them up alright my guest today has been Andrew Novick from the Warlock Pinchers Food Face uh, John Bonet's Tricycle <laughs> I, I Save Everything dot com like <laughs> 
Dude, this is this has been such a treat endless, for me. I can't endless. I can't even begin to tell you. It's Super been so fun. fun, man. Super fun talking to thank you. Thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thank you. So uh thanks all you for watching and listening, and we'll catch you next week on the motherfucking podcast. We out. When me and Nate both get together and sit down and pray to God, uh, it's not the same God that's in the Bible as the God of rock and roll. So you might be thinking that we're talking about a different God, but we're talking about the God of rock and roll. to make her ever. Why? She's pure girl. The more basic thing is to uh, save rock and roll because this is such a dismal state and that's our goal. show and people then pay attention to me. listening to a mutiny transmission you can find more podcasts videos books comics and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com or just stop in the store in denver and have a coffee sometime 